does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It's the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. He's one half of KB and Andy, the morning wake up call. And as uh, Sweebo, Andy Sweeney, has referenced him already today, privately to me, the wet blanket of the two, Kevin Bowen joins us. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Hello, wet blanket. The wet blanket joins us now. Hello, wet blanket. God, that's a ringing endorsement. Is that is that what he's saying behind behind my back? There? The wet blanket. I didn't like didn't what that deal you're talking about timelines and draft capital and what may or may not happen in 2029. You're a wet blanket, according to Sweebo. Boy, I don't know if I would agree with all of that. I might have to have a word with him for three hours tomorrow morning. Fight, 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 fight. Everybody was comfortable fighting. That is not true, JMV. That is not true. Welcome in. It's the it's the wake up call on the fan. Like I'm in a seventh grade relationship here. To Listening start this on Thursday the radio, morning. the YouTube. We got you covered today. My moist blanket. My, my damp goodness. Blanket? Well, I will tell you what happened with that. I don't mind. Jay, I was walking the dogs yesterday, and JMV goes, "Is is does, does Bowen hate this? Does Bowen hate this deal?" I'm like, "Okay." So you haven't listened to us, JMV, because you've talked about it. So I shot a little JMV a text yesterday. I go, Bowen doesn't like it as much as probably 90% of your fan base. Uh, He wants Pascal Siakam to sign. If he doesn't sign, he ain't going to like the deal. And JMV said, let's get him. And I said, let's get him. So that's where we are. Uh, he's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Mark Dighton, great there. A, a, just an absolute loaded show. The Siakam news coming down yesterday. And boy, what a huge deal. And I think the majority of our fan base does like it. Many different things uh, that we can break down. Tons of sound today. Woj, Windhorse, uh, Shams all speaking on the trade yesterday. But we're just loaded today. I mean, we have Chuck Pagano. We're going to get a little bit of the Toronto view of this. Doug Smith going to join us at 8.30. Tony East going to join us. And then we'll have Grace Berger and Lexi Hall in studio. So uh, we are loaded today. But, KB, it's good to see you. And, I mean, whether you like it or not, it's a landmark moment. The Pacers, with Tyrese Halliburton, take their first big swing. Yeah, I decided to leave the blanket in the car uh, for all of us here. Uh, but, yeah, we do have a loaded show. I'm glad we get a nice hour there kind of in the middle to commit to more on the Pascal Siakam trade. Um, I think listeners of this show will know I, I have – been a massive fan over virtually every single move Kevin Pritchard has made. I mean, hell, I want a statue built for Benedict Mather, and hell, I was trying to get a parade going when Malcolm Brogdon was finally shipped out of town, and to start the <laughs> rebuild there, finally said enough of the two bigs, and that really restarted everything, and saying, okay, Turner Sabonis, we held on for dear life, now we finally got to break it up. Obviously, I never thought Halliburton would turn into Halliburton, but still... Uh, that's what ignited everything. This one, just a, a tad bit of skepticism. Uh, I don't know if it makes for great radio, Andy, but I think everybody wants black or white. Oh, I love the trade. Right. Oh, it's the best trade ever. Right. the trade. And I'm like somewhere in the middle. I've got a little bit of skepticism on, you know, handing a guy five years and $250 million as he turns 30 years old. Uh, the biggest question we've talked about for 40-some games this season is defense, defense, defense. You know, Tony East has laid out, and he'll join us later today. He's laid out quite often with us. 
Um, if you look at last year, certainly in the playoffs, the defensive team showed up, and those were the teams that advanced. Uh, don't act like Siakam is Buddy Heald or Benedict Matherin on the defensive end of the floor, but at the same time, I don't think he's OG Ananobi. And that, I know, is probably the easy one for me to go to, Andy. But if this is Ananobi, I'm probably doing some jumping jacks. It's not. So I've got a little bit of skepticism with how this is going to look. And it, I've always said with Halliburton, I think you get two big swings at it. Two big swings at it. This is clearly one of the two, or at least in all likelihood, I would think it's one of the two. And it's just, I'm just a little lukewarm on it. No, that's totally, listen, that's totally fine. Listen, th- there are absolute reasons, you know, the latter years of this contract and, you know, you save up all these funds and assets and picks and money and everything else. And then now you finally got to spend it, right? I mean, there is a gamble here. Now you got to spend it. It was a gamble when they traded for Halliburton. It's a gamble. This is absolutely a gamble. Is it a rather safe one? Well, we can argue that. I mean, this is uh, a fine player. Listen, there are... Boy, and I tell you, the next three hours, there are just so many tentacles to all of this. I mean, it is clear. It is abundantly clear, KB, that, you know, going all the way back to the summer, June, July, that the Pacers have targeted Pascal Siakam. Uh, Now, he's not the only one. Uh, Woj came out yesterday from ESPN. We'll play this sound later. They wanted OG Ananobi as well. Like, they wanted to bring both of these guys into Indianapolis. So what you have here is, you know, we've talked about, hey, having patience. You have this long-term max deal with Halliburton. You can take your time a little bit. I think that's probably where there is a difference between you and the brass. The Pacers... To hell with being patient, and I think the fans feel the same with that. I think that's why JMV's having fun is just you know take a swing. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, we'll learn from it. But uh, it's time to do some winning, and I think that's kind of uh, the notion that is out there with this. And then we'll dive into all these, but you know, with what they gave up. Hell, with what they didn't give up in this deal, sure makes me stomach it a lot more. Yeah, and the I flexibility. Would agree on that part. Yeah, the flexibility. They didn't give up any of the young guys. Oh, come on, they didn't give up anything. Of a Matherin. They didn't or, give up anything. Or a Nemhard. You know, I thought Nem. I mean, from, I, I, from a Canadian aspect, yeah, Nemhard's making a couple mils, a fine player. Uh, so we can look at their contracts, but the flexibility that they will have, if you believe in Benedict Matherin. Like you do. If you believe in Jairus Walker, you still get to see uh, those guys blossom. And like I said, uh, you have that flexibility as well. Boy, I think I think this is probably. I know you have you're a tad more lukewarm than probably the fan base. I think the fan base is what 95 percent ecstatic yesterday at about one thirty two o'clock yeah. when this came down. I would agree. I'll read off the tweet that I sent after this news broke yesterday afternoon. And by the way, the trade became official late last night for those that missed it. Sounds like maybe a chance Pascal Siakam meets the team in Portland tomorrow. By the way, good news on Tyrese Halliburton. Wow, no kidding. That we'll share here <laughs> no kidding. In, in a little bit. But again, tonight, Sacramento, tomorrow, Portland, end the Western trip with Phoenix on Sunday. Um, I tweeted this yesterday after the trade. Uh, uh, assumption is this won't be a rental, right? Right. Tomorrow, I mean, that's right. that's my assumption. And then, you know, I kind of put into a pro and con category. By the way, do you feel comfortable with that? Because I, I you know, that that's the well, thing that scares you, me the most, but I feel as comfortable as you could yeah, about him signing here. I, I don't think you could. Yeah, and his agent, you know, had some comments to some national media yesterday that, you know, indicated that, you know, whatever. They, right. They liked the potential of Indiana, Halliburton, et cetera. Rick Harlow, I think, was mentioned by name as well. And you don't typically see agents do that. 
but again, from a pro standpoint, uh, Pascal Siakam is a legit scorer, and he's a creator out of position of need. Andy, we've talked about the four position for the Pacers for a long, long time. And also, I think a big pro is you show Tyrese Halliburton, you'll swing. Right. And I know that that might rub a lot of people the wrong way. Like, wait, you have to cater to your yeah. star like that? Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you yeah. do, especially when you're in a market Welcome to sports. like this <laughs> and present-day NBA more than anything. Yeah, I sure. I mean, that might not have been the case, whatever, 15 years ago in the NBA, but it certainly is now. Now, the questions are, he does not match up with really anyone else's timeline on the team, particularly Halliburton from an age standpoint, whereas a guy like Ananobi would fall a lot more into that timeline. Uh, I think the defensive questions remain. Like, it's still to be proven. And I'm of the thinking with a guy like Halliburton, who is so incredibly gifted offensively, Andy, it's easier to find offense than it is defense. Probably. Like, Halliburton yeah. just makes Probably. everybody better sure. on that end of the floor. Yeah, we'll look but, at their offense this year. Yeah. Benedict Matherin are very skilled offensively, but they can't guard a chair. So, like, that's where I, I side more on the defensive aspect. And then again, um, I think this is your big swing for the next couple of years, so it kind of limits you majorly. I do think they could make another move here in the next few weeks. Which I think they will. But I don't think there's a major one uh, that is really can be made for the next couple of years. Uh, and then I, I do think you have to acknowledge his age. And I know John and I disagreed on that yesterday, but you know, there's a reason why Buddy Heald is coveted, Andy, and there's a reason why Malcolm Brogdon has been on five teams in five years. Malcolm Brogdon can't stay healthy. Buddy Heald can. So if you look at Siakam and you see 12 to 15 games missed over the last handful of years, does that grow post age 30? I think you'd be naive just to not look at that or ponder that possibility. Um, But certainly from a swing standpoint, I I am very much team swing. Again, if this is Ananobi, I'm probably in love with it. Yeah, it's a Shrewsbury thing all over again. Yeah, Yeah. that (laughs) element to complimenting what you have, because I think Halliburton just makes so many people better offensively. Um, but come playoff time, and it's probably something I should acknowledge a little bit more, if Halliburton's taken away, Siakam is a guy that you throw the ball to, and he can probably go get you a bucket, more so than a lot of guys on this team. Flexibility, expectations, these are all things we'll talk about. Again, Chuck Pagano going to join us, so we're going to break here early. We'll talk to Doug Smith later, Tony East coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. KB, I'm higher on this than I was yesterday. I don't Now that I know... Because of great, what they gave up. Great, yeah, because of what they gave up, or what, what, they, they, didn't give what up, they didn't give up, uh, and then the flexibility they have combined with the confidence that they can resign him. Uh, yesterday, I was at a 5 out of 10. Today, I'm at a probably a 7.5, probably an 8 out of 10. Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, three first-round picks. For those that missed it, and that trade became official late last night. Chuck Pagano joins us on the other side. Plenty of Siakam talk after that. Thanks for tuning in to the Wake Up Call. Yeah, thanks for joining us on this Thursday, broadcasting live from the DriveHubler.com studios. Obviously, a lot this morning on the Pascal Siakam trade. Tony East will join us coming up at 9 o'clock. Raised expectations. We'll dive into that and much more as we go. Such a big swing uh, for the Pacers. But let's pause that for a second. Chuck Pagano joining us, coach here, uh, former coach for the Colts, and he joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us on this Thursday. How are you? Doing great, Andy. Good to be on with you in the wet blanket this morning. Thanks oh. for having me. Coach, come on now. I was performing you know, maybe a little moister damp blanket here. God, I love you, KB, but God damn, you got to throw a wet blanket on this damn everything going the way it's going here in Indy. NBA All-Star game coming. Siakam to town. 
Colts are doing wonderful. Who's got it better yeah, than us, Coach? The, nobody. Exactly. I thought, you know, I thought a defensive guy like you would like more of my defensive focus here. I, I, I want to see a little bit more defense on that end of the well, floor. Isn't isn't this guy known for his defense? He can score, but he can play he can play defense as well, right? Yeah, I think the Toronto people would say it's waned in recent years. I I, I, I like a little OG Ananobi, a little bit other here. Again, lukewarm on it. I, I, I've celebrated every Kevin Pritchard deal here over the past few years. Just a little lukewarm on this. Moist blanket right, here. Gotta hold hold him accountable, I guess. Go ahead. <laughs> Moist blanket here. That's, it. That's right. He's a big bag media coach. He's holding them accountable. That's exactly right. Coach, always good to hear your voice and appreciate <laughs> you waking up with us here on this Thursday morning. Um, I guess we'll start pretty open ended. Your just general impressions on what you saw, Colts related, Shane Steichen related here in year one. Yeah, amazing job, obviously, right? Come in and you know, build a culture uh, in a short amount of time, set the set the standard, the expectations, obviously a culture accountability um, to win the games uh, that they won, play meaningful games, you know, down the stretch to think that, you know, we're one game away, you know, from a division title and hosting a home playoff game. Of course, we didn't know that, you know, going into that game, but you're, you're, you're right there. So um, unbelievable job that, that he did. Uh, unbelievable job. You know, you look at offensively, uh, the future looks so damn bright with, with AR, right? And, and we just got to figure out a way to keep to keep him healthy, obviously. But job that Gardner came in as a, as a backup, JT coming back, um, MPJ, uh, got to figure that one out, uh, keep him in town. The O-line was way better. Tony Sperano Jr. with the job that he did was, was just fabulous. And then defensively, you know, 50, 51 sacks on the year, uh, nothing to bat an eye. You know, add Ebucon, Payne, Odie, you know, D-Buck. Um, missed, uh, missed big growth for a minute there uh, in the in the middle there. But uh, Zaire Franklin, unbelievable. Another great year. Led the league in tackles. You know, you uh, part ways with Shaq. Um, grateful for everything that Shaq did for this team and in this city, obviously, but then, you know, EJ Speed coming in, Harrison, Kenny Moore, the resurgence, right? Got to figure out, hey, two years ago, everybody's down on Kenny. He comes back and has a has a great year. And and so, yeah, really fired up for, for the future uh, with this organization. The great Chuck Pagano hanging out with us here on The Fan on this Thursday. Uh, you have made the move from coordinator to head coach, so you were impressed with Steichen. What is the what is the most difficult thing? What's the biggest leap you need to take when you go from coordinator to running your entire ship there? Well, you know, you credit credit him. You've got everything on your plate now, right? There's, there's going to be five things that come across Shane's desk every day that he's not going to want to deal with, but he has to because he's the CEO. He's the, he's the head coach, and, and that falls on, uh, on, on his watch, right? That falls on his lap. So, and then to, to do all that and call the offense, I got great, great respect for head coaches in this league that are also play callers, whether it's you know defensive coordinator right now up in Buffalo, the job that Sean McDermott does, uh, the job that Shane did, obviously, here being the head coach and and also calling one side. But just navigating, think about everything that he had to navigate in his first year. You know, a holdout, the deal with JT early on, the suspensions, um, injuries to your starting quarterback, uh, do all this with a backup quarterback, keep that, ga- that team going, 
what were we three and five? Yeah, three and five. Right after eight eight games, we're three and five, and then you know steady the ship. You you see, you see a lot. There's a lot of teams out there that had much better, much better starts, but then lost their way. Right? They lost their way and and implode down the stretch, and that never happened. So, I think the job that he did managing and handling, um, you know, everything that comes with with sitting in that seat for the first time. Calling the calling the plays and then just just you know keeping the waters calm uh, in a in a very adverse situation for a first year head coach just I mean worthy of obviously coach of the coach of the year honors it's just unfortunate that he's in the same division with a guy that's still playing in a divisional game you know this Saturday up in Baltimore D'Amico Ryan's. He is Chuck Pagano. He's throwing haymakers here early on this Thursday morning. We would have it no other way. We appreciate his time. Um, Coach, in today's NFL, if I were going to kind of throw at you, okay, what would be your ideal defensive makeup, ideal defensive blueprint? Where would you kind of fall in trying to stop these offenses on an aggression meter, on the types of coverages you would use, how frequently you would blitz? I feel like with your background, you'd probably be a good one to ask of just, okay, what do you view as kind of the ideal defensive makeup in today's league, which obviously has become pretty darn pass happy? Yeah, I think we saw you better be physical. Obviously, we always talk about it starts, you know, in the trenches, both sides of the line of scrimmage. But defensively, you better be big and physical up front. You better be able to rush the passers. We always talk about how you can't have enough edge rushers and you can't have enough cover corners, right? So you better be able to rush the passer. You better be able to cover, um, you know, but the physicality of it. You know, if you're if you want to play small ball, if you want to put light, small, fast, athletic guys out there, which you know, with the advent of the offenses and the way things are evolving, uh, all the RPO stuff is is you know many uh, multiple wide receivers on the field, eleven personnel, one back, one tight end, three wideouts. As much as we're seeing that, you've got to have speed on the field. But at the same time, if you can't stop the run. Uh, then you you have no chance, and and we saw in the in Super Wild Card Weekend um, that very thing uh, you know happened to a uh, a couple of really good teams. Obviously, you know teams that uh, that won twelve games in the in the regular season and then just get run out of the park, you know because you you can't stop the run. You're not big enough. You're not physical enough. So you better be big up front. You better be able to rush the passer, and certainly you better be able to cover. Chuck Pagano with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Coach, there's just so much I want to ask you. I mean, it was Black Monday a few days ago in the NFL. And, I mean, we got coaches out there like Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh. You know, Belichick, though, you know, his uh, mutual parting of ways there in New England. You know, Mike McCarthy going to keep his job in Dallas. Nick Sirianni in Philly very much on the hot seat. What is it like for a coach to go through not only Black Monday, but the uncertainty as the week goes. And I guess just what's your opinion on the coaching carousel and a guy like Bill Belichick who might go from New England to Atlanta, something like that? Yeah, wild, right? Unbelievable. Who who, who saw this coming, right? Uh, I mean, we could all speculate. We talked about Bill and, and that possibility, you know, a month, month and a half, two months, you know, into the season. But you know, the uncertainty is crazy. It, it's so, so hard on, on coaches, the staff, but more importantly, the families. You know, the, the movement, it, it's a nomadic lifestyle, uh, if you will. Uh, the cliche, we all know what we signed up for. You know, it gets overused and we, 
try to throw that out at the podium and, and try to brush it off like it's nothing. But, you know, there's the obvious ones. You kind of know, you know, it's coming. You know, I, I kind of knew it was at the end, you know, so you can kind of, you know, get yourself geared up. You're never truly ready, but you kind of know. And then the guys like, you know, Mike McCarthy, you know, he got the vote of confidence. He's coming back in, in 2024. Uh, but then a guy like Nick Sirianni, who's taken his team to uh, the playoffs every year that he's been the head coach there, a Super Bowl last year, probably should have won that game, a three-point loss to the Chiefs. You know, that's that's murder's row, uh, you know, for not only the head coach, but all those assistant coaches. And you're sitting there fighting for your life. So you've got a meeting planned with ownership. Uh, Nick's sitting down with uh, Jeffrey uh, Lurie as we speak. And he's going in there. He's got to have a plan. You know, you got to have a plan in place to say, okay, here's what happened. We're ten and one, and then you know we lose. We go one and six. I think it was, you know, down down the stretch, uh, we completely fall apart. Have no identity. Lost the stinger. Lost the swag. This, that, and the other. Make a you know coaching change on the defensive side midway through, and it just looked like a shell of themselves. So he's in there. He's got a plan together saying, okay, here's, here's my vision going forward. Here's the changes. Obviously there's going to be some changes. There's already been change on the defensive side. So he's setting his plan. He's sitting there talking to Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman and, and putting a plan in place. And, you know, if it's something that Lurie and Roseman are like, okay, this, this sounds good. We're on board with this. Or, or if they're scratching their head going, no, nah, I think we got to go in a different direction, especially with all the coaches that you mentioned, right, with a Belichick out there, uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, congratulations to him and the Michigan Wolverines, the job that he's done there, a proven commodity in the National Football League going 44-19, and 19, you know, with the 49ers during his tenure there. Uh, Mike Vrabel, you got, you got, I mean, guys that are, that are proven commodities and and, and let's just say this, too. Like, it's really easy to say, hey, we got to move on. I mean, this is – you make a knee-jerk reaction, emotional reaction after a bad loss, after, you know, uh, the way you ended the season. And, and then you just got to ask yourself, okay, we got a guy that took us to the playoffs three straight years. All right, he'd done a hell of a job. He lost both coordinators, one to Indianapolis and Shane, Jonathan Gannon to Arizona, did a phenomenal job. All right. If we let him go, who are we going to get? You know, are we guaranteed Bill? Are we guaranteed Vrabel? Do we have that, a burden hand? You know, that whole deal, burden hands, you know. So you better make sure that you got something, you know, equal or way better before you just move on from a guy. Chuck Pagano is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, I want to kind of go to the other angle of what this time of year is also about from a coaching standpoint, and you certainly felt it in January 2012 of, you know, what is Ben Johnson, Lions OC? What is Aaron Glenn, Lions DC? What are they feeling right now? Like, here you are, all this emotionally charged Detroit energy. Your fan base hasn't experienced this in 30 years. You're coaching the biggest game your franchise has had in decades. And yet in the back of your mind, you're like, wow, am I about ready to have a life-changing interview and become a head coach of, a, of an NFL football team? If you don't mind, share what you felt as you guys made the AFC title game on the brink of the Super Bowl in January 2012, and then all of a sudden, through that emotional roller coaster, you're getting a call from Jim Mercer and Ryan Grigson. Yeah, I mean, the circumstances were such that I had no idea, right, that this was coming. So I didn't have, you know, 
the to prepare for for the AFC Championship game, to prepare for Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. So my focus was singular. I had no idea um, that that phone call was coming until we got until we got beat. We got home, and the next morning went into the office. John Harbaugh called me in his office and says, "Hey, we got to talk." So for those guys that you just mentioned, you know, the. Detroit, for example, you know, with, with Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn, they, they got, you know, the major, the, the, the major task at hand is, is winning another playoff game, right? That's, that's preparing, you know, for Tampa Bay, who's coming to, coming to town. And at the same time, you got to jump on a, on a Zoom, whether it's an hour, two hours, whatever, and your livelihood, um, all the goals and dreams that you set for yourself, are sitting right in front of you. You've done enough to this point to put yourself in the conversation. So how, how do you balance all that? And so they've talked uh, a lot, uh, KB, about, you know, what's what's fair? What gives everybody the same competitive advantage, you know, when it comes to hiring these guys, interviewing these guys, and trying to say, hey, let's just wait till the season's over, so to speak, but trying to come up with a formula uh, that's fair for everybody. But I can't imagine sitting there – uh, trying to get your team prepared, and then at the same time, and again, these guys got agents. They got a bunch of people working for them, so they've they've been through it. So they've got like their books ready. They've got their questions ready. They've got you know probably all the answers, most of the answers, probably ninety percent of the answers to the test already answered and right in front of them. But still, I can't imagine trying to navigate uh, those waters, uh, especially with with everything on the line, because you can't. You're not going to sell. Uh, your players short, your teams short, your organization, your head coach. You, you you can't you can't do that because at this point with eight teams left, it's going to show up. You know, come game day, if you spend all your time worrying about okay what's down the road and, and trying to get that head coaching job and, and you didn't do a, the job that you need to do to prepare, we, we've seen some teams uh, already in Supercar Supercar Wild Weekend, right? Whatever you call it. Um, that didn't look prepared, right? So, so you just thought you, you just thought you were going to be back at Baltimore after that season. You didn't you didn't think you'd go on some you know coaching interview circuit. Uh, I, as God is my witness, I'll tell you, KB. It was like when I went in that next morning. We got home like three, four in the morning from that trip and up in New England, playing as late as we did. Going the next morning, John called me in and said, "Ed, Indy called," and I was like, "What do they want?" <laughs> I didn't have. It, again, it's caused my, I didn't even know that job was still open, hmm. you know, so that was just like a whirlwind. Okay. All right. Well, get on the phone with, with Ryan, you know, and, the, and then the rest is the rest is history. The next thing, next day you're on a plane, you're scrambling to try to put a, put some stuff together to, to at least give yourself a chance to come in and, and sell yourself and sell your program and your vision. God, this wow. is a wild, wild <laughs> That is wild. Just year. walking into work and say, hey, the Colts want to talk to you about yeah. a head coaching job. Wow. Life-changing event, <laughs> to say and the I, least. And be honest with you, remember the, I mean, John gave me the opportunity of a lifetime in 2008 just to go there and be with that group of that organization, Ozzie Newsome, you know, uh, Steve Bishotti, ownership, the whole thing, right? That defensive room, the players that they had in 08. And then, you know, give me the opportunity to call the defense in 2011. I didn't want to go anywhere. We just built a home. We, we lived in a home six months there, you know. And, and so kids are thriving. Tina and I are having a great time. We got a great defense coming back. 
you know, should they beat us in the wild card going to win the Super Bowl the next year? So I wasn't, I didn't want to go anywhere. I'm like, hey, John, call him back. I'm not interested. I want to stay. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Like I had, <laughs> you know what, sticking out my forehead, right? Like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, I was like, I want to talk to Ozzy, too. You got to go talk to Ozzy. You got to tell you the same thing. You got to talk to these people. <laughs> That's great. Incredible. Chuck Pagano yeah. with us here on this Thursday morning. Coach, the best to you, the best to Tina, the girls, the grandkids. Uh, safe travels back to Boise. And as always, thank you for the time, my man. Appreciate you guys. See you, Andy. See you, KB. That's Chuck Pagano right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Always enjoy catching up with the former Colts head coach. Certainly a lot of Pascal Siakam news to get to. And Andy, as we lead off a morning check down, uh, could we see Tyrese Halliburton very soon? The morning checkdown brought to you by the Barbasol Horizon League Basketball Championships. March starts here at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, March 11th and 12th. Yeah, so the Pacers are back in action tonight. You mentioned that. Now, Siakam will not be with the team, but it's Pacers and Kings tonight. Tip-off at 10 o'clock. Our coverage here on the fan beginning at 9.30. And you're right, in the midst of all the Siakam stuff, the Pacers put out their injury report for tonight's game. They did this 11 hours ago. And at the very top, Tyrese Halliburton questionable with a left hamstring strain. Now, Matherin's questionable. Neesmith, still questionable. Obi Toppin as well. Uh, and obviously the trade, so you won't have a guy like Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, but Tyrese Howell and, 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 and Siakam will not be meeting the team quite yet, but questionable for Halliburton. If you remember yesterday, Carlisle did say steady improvement, and he made it sound very positive, like we'll see at practice where he's at. So, hey, the news has been all good that injury could have been worse, and who knows? Maybe he does miss just the two weeks. And just to go back to that timeline, the two weeks would still be three more games. It would be tonight, sure would. it would be tomorrow, and it would be Sunday in Phoenix. But by all accounts, Tyrese Halliburton clearly has avoided you know serious injury, and this is looking like more of a I don't know six game absence. You know we'll see if it lingers a little bit more. But for the first time here. In the last 10 days, he is listed as questionable. The Pacers, given that injury report, pretty understandably, they're an eight-point underdog tonight in Sacramento, which, of course, probably a game Tyrese Halliburton has circled on the calendar. Uh, not a lot of immediate news items to get to. Uh, we did see that Dallas came out with a statement last night. Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy will be back. Um, so it seems like at this point, as long as Nick Sirianni is returning to Philly, we're done. With it, uh, from a you know Black Monday lingering a couple of weeks standpoint around the NFL, obviously a ton of NFL playoff games to get to. We'll probably preview those a little bit more tomorrow. You know, the game I think of the weekend nationally is probably got to be Bills and Chiefs. Andy, I, I see you know people out there. Okay, is this Peyton Brady? Is this a little bit of Colts Patriots? The thing about Buffalo though is they've won two in a row in this matchup, and they are 3-3 three and three all time if you look at the Allen versus Mahomes games, and now they get it in Western New York. So very curious how the first road game, which again is just an astonishing stat, the first road game in the career of Patrick Mahomes will go coming up on Sunday. <laughs> that is the final game of the four-game slate divisional round weekend have here you, coming up. Have you seen the weather report? It, it is going to be very chilly. I More snow in Buffalo. Like oh. Two to three feet. Oh, whoa! Two to three feet. Uh, oh, really? Wow. I looked it up I, a couple I, days ago, and I, I thought it was just. That. Yeah, I didn't see that at all. They said heavy well, snow. Used to that. Heavy snow coming into the Buffalo area. <laughs> two to three feet. <laughs> That's new. They haven't had that before. So, by the way, we're supposed to have some on Thursday. We're supposed to have a dusting. 
Today in the Indi- or, Yeah, today is Thursday. I thought it was tomorrow. <laughs> Little Gas was up a lot last night. Uh, by the way, four-month uh, update for, for Little Gas. Yeah. Uh, our uh, four-month-old for people who are new to the show. That's where I found out about the Siakam trade. <laughs> Me and Mark were talking about before the show. You guys had Jeff Saturday on hours before he took the job, and he's like, yeah, I was in Kroger, and uh, my phone was blown up with Jeff Saturday. Well, I was like, well, Little Gas was having his four-monther, and my wife looks at me, and I'm all over Twitter, and she goes, are you working right now? I go, yeah, kind of. I go, the Pacers made a trade. It was kind of a big one. Well, you, ah, that's okay. I guess you drew the short style. I had Max Bowen 16-month on uh, – what was that, Tuesday now? Nothing broke then. Okay. Uh, but yes, yesterday afternoon, about, what was that, 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock? It was about, it was about 2 o'clock, two o'clock, actually. I think I think Jake and them got a little time to talk about it. And it became official late last night. So plenty on the Pascal Siakam trade. Again, we'll get Toronto's side of it. Doug Smith, who covered Siakam up uh, with the Raptors, he's going to join us here around 8.30. Tony East at 9 o'clock. We'll give our thoughts on the Pascal Siakam trade. Uh, here on the other side. It is the wake-up call here. Uh, fine commute in on this Thursday morning for those curious. Thanks for tuning in. It is KB and Andy right here on 93.5107.5. Yeah, good morning to you. Nice commute. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tune in. Not so bad today. Uh, cold, 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 but I uh, might warm up a little bit. Maybe a little bit of snow. We'll, we'll see. The weather is unpre- <laughs> unpredictable. Uh, what's going to happen here in Indy? Mark was just talking about a foot of snow maybe for that Bills and Chiefs game. So at least that's not us. Yuck. They're not used to snow there. Yuck. Yeah, they have no idea. They don't have any plows up there uh, in western New York. You miss any of Chuck Pagano had him on last segment. Check it out. 1075thefan.com Alright, KB, I want to play some sound here as we go. Woj uh, J.J. Redick, I thought Brian Windhorst, all of them had some pieces last night when the trade becomes, you know, of, you know, I say official, but when uh, it's out there, it's reported about 2 o'clock, Pascal Siakam headed to the Pacers. Uh, let's give our thoughts again, what we like the most. For me, uh, just quickly, what I like the most about this is you still have a little bit of flexibility, And you have that this year. If you say, well, now uh, at that forward, power forward position, you have a little bit of a log jam. You know, you have guys who have expiring contracts, right? Obi Toppin is still out there. Buddy Heald is still out there. You know, Jalen Smith has that player option coming up in 2024. Then he is an unrestricted uh, free agent as well. You have Isaiah Jackson, who has a very friendly contract if you were to move on uh, from some of these young players. And so you can still go out and get something here, a veteran defense, uh, if you will, to kind of fortify things. So I really like the flexibility. And I think the other thing about it, I think this is where I think this is where fans are. And that is, you know, the organization has 
you know, done so much, you know, losing, just not, I should say, just not winning at a high level that to some extent, whether it's the last move they make, whether it works out and ends up being an A plus or not, they are making a winning swing that we're not going to just be okay with being okay. And they're going to try to be something else in the eight o'clock hour. We can talk about expectations and everything else, but the flexibility that remains and then I know the picks may sting to some, but the fact that you get to keep Jarris Walker and Ben Matherin, and if you believe that those guys can blossom uh, into really good players, you still have those guys. You're not giving up something that you really, really want. With those two things combined, I said yesterday, I was more with you um, at about a, maybe a 5 out of 10, but, but with what they gave up, didn't give up, and the flexibility that remains, it puts me at like a seven and a half, eight out of 10 with this move yesterday. It almost seems like, Andy, I'd be shocked three weeks from today, the trade deadline, if they didn't make another move. Like, it is a log jam, really like no other, at that four position. When you talk about Jalen Smith and Obi Toppin specifically, you know, where are the minutes going to come? Because, you know, in a way, you could almost say, all right, Jalen Smith, here's your, you know, whatever, 60% of the minutes, and then Obi Toppin, here's your 40% of the minutes. And at times, we even saw, like, Aaron Neesmith play a little bit bigger at the four. Well, Siakam's going to eat up so much of whatever your power forward minutes look like. So um, it, it does, to me, scream like Obi Toppin, Jalen Smith specifically, one of them has got to be on the move, you you would think. And then again, do you package, you know, in a way, Bruce Brown had that expiring deal. The fact that he had the team option on the second year of it, is Buddy Heald going to be one that's grouped in to that? I would say probably the part of the Siakam deal that I like the most. And, you know, for those that missed it to lead, lead off the show, I tweeted it out. You know, again, to me, there are pros and cons to it. It's not a total, like, this is the dumbest trade in the history of sport. No, I'm not that at all. A little lukewarm on it, yes. But I think what I like the most is I go back to the game Halliburton got hurt a week ago Monday. And in that game, Andy, there were moments where Drew Holiday would be guarding Tyrese Halliburton and literally have his back turned to the rest of the four people on the court. I guess eight people, four on each side. And, like, you don't see that in the NBA, you know, whatever, ball you, man, or, you know, make sure you always have eyes on where the ball is. And Holiday was like, screw that. Uh, he's the head of the snake, and he's number one, two, three on our scouting report. So anything, anybody but Halliburton was honestly kind of the, the notion there for the Celtics. With Siakam, you probably can't do it to that degree. Like, he's a guy that you can throw the basketball to, and for those that have not really watched the Raptors a lot or maybe forget what Siakam did during that championship run, granted it was a handful of years ago, Andy, he's a crafty dude. It's not this like high-flying athlete necessarily. I mean, he's very long, but like he's not going to bang home six threes in a game. But it's just a bit unorthodox, a bit unique, uh, and very crafty when he gets the ball and you kind of isolate him and he can score at a high level. And the other thing is, I threw out the word in my tweet yesterday, he can create. And it's not like he's blowing by the defender and, again, dunking on him, but he's a pretty willing and able passer as well. So I do think that is probably where you fit the most offensively. It's that who is the Robin to the Batman? And, and, you know, it's like, okay, could Matherin grow into that? Uh, You know, I don't think anyone else in this roster we ever really felt like maybe was capable of growing into that. Certainly Siakam is that. So I think when you talk about what I like, 
Uh, that is where I would probably go is come playoff time, you get scouted to the nth degree. And when that team takes away this set and that set and that team takes the ball out of Halliburton's hand, can you still handle it? And Siakam, I do think, is a guy, especially come playoff time, that can help you out there. What do you think would have been the reaction if it comes out that the Pacers turn this down? If this didn't happen? Uh, I think fans would have been very pissed. Yeah, because I think so too. But I don't. I would not have been one of those because I think at times, and I think we've reacted to this all of a sudden in the last maybe seventy-two hours last week. We start to hear your team rumored with high-level player, and it gets everyone excited. And if that doesn't happen, you think that it's never going to happen. And I'm I'm just not in that boat. I go back to the Halliburton trade a couple years ago, Andy. There were many reports from credible people, the same people that reported this deal that said, uh, Darren Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, they're untouchable. They're, they're they're building together with them. And then all of a sudden, the trade deadline rolls around, and sure enough, the Pacers gave up a big name in Sabonis, and that was able to pry Halliburton away. So that's where I go back to the Rick Carlisle comment with us to end the show yesterday, when just organically, Rick said something to the effect of, you know, high-level players in this league want to play for Tyrese Halliburton. When I hear that, Andy, I think to myself, it's not just Siakam that wants to play with Halliburton. There are other guys that I think around this league want to play for him. So I don't think I would have been as close-minded of saying, oh, damn, that's a swing and a miss, and now you're never going to get another swing. No, I, I I think you are, largely because of Halliburton. Go back to Team USA this past fall. Those guys raved, raved about playing with Halliburton. What happens when they get into a situation with their current teams where things aren't going well, like Toronto is clearly in now? Would those guys have had some interest? I think they would have. And that's what this deal does limit you in. Now, moving forward, Siakam's your big swing for the next couple of years. And if any uh, any of these other things arise, the Pacers have been in a position to attack some of those things. They are very restricted now moving forward and being able to do that. The one thing I don't know, I agree with you on that. You're right on that. There is an unknown factor here, right? Uh, And we don't know what the future holds, and that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. If, If, you know, it came out that the Pacers didn't do this deal, that would have been it. It would have been the woe is me. We're never going to get another superstar. You know, you know, it would have been that. That's what the conversation would have been this morning. The problem. I I don't think that's true. I, I agree with you. The problem with the NBA is, you know, free agent wise. You can look at the free agents the next couple years and you're looking at them and we did this exercise yesterday and there's no one that's turning you on. Now in two years, like Jamal Murray becomes a free agent. Do we think he's going to say, well, I'll say goodbye you know, to Denver, whatever it may be. And do I think he even reaches free agency? So the problem with the unknown is you have to rely on what you did with the Halliburton thing is you got to think about a trade. Who's going to be disgruntled in the NBA in the, next, eight, yeah. in the next 18 months? It happens and every I, summer. And, and it happens, all, it happens exactly. all the time, yeah. And that's what I'm well, I just don't at. know who it's going to be. It that's the problem. All the time. I can't give you a name, uh, but the Pacers gave you a name in Pascal Siakam. And teams shift from like buyer to panic sell. Oh, in like a month. Yeah. As the sun rises. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, it's crazy how things can shift. And over the next three weeks, we're going to see it here prior to the trade deadline. So that's kind of where I was at with this is I felt like we had just gotten, and I think a lot of it. Andy's because we're products of the environment that we are in. We're products of Indiana has not been able to attract this this sort of player in past years. And all of a sudden, you have an opportunity to do it. And if you don't, you're never going to get the chance again. And I was not in that boat. I think times are changing. 
And again, Carlisle said it to us late yesterday, and he said high-level players, plural. So I do think guys that, you know, whatever, are not happy with their current situation, uh, whether or not, might not be free agency, but in Siakam's case, obviously, it's a trade, and then it, I guess, it is going to be free agency, and the hope is certainly that you resign him moving forward. All right, plenty more on the other side, Pascal Siakam-wise, to get to again. I think another deal has to be on the horizon. He does, by the way, have quite a local direct tie here to Indianapolis. We will share that as well. Get Toronto's look at it coming up here around 8.30. It's a wake-up call with KB and Andy. I forget now. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Now how I was going to intro this segment, uh, KB, I, I assume you heard that uh, that tease from Jake Query. I'm su- I assumed, A, you liked it, and B, that was going to be your stat, or that was going to be your Pascal Siakam, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, attachment to the area here. I probably have watched <laughs> Christian Siakam, Pascal's brother, play, I don't know, 20, 30-some games in my life. Uh, he was an IUPUI Jag. Uh, my good friend Sean Esposito played for the IUPUI Jaguars and coached Ron Howard and or, uh, Ron Hunter and Todd Howard for uh, several years. And I, I love Christian Siakam's footwork in the post. Big dude. Like, think back to the basket. There you go. Old school big guy. Okay. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, I think he's a G League assistant with the Raptors. Yeah. So he's still affiliated Boy, with the Raptors. Mike Woodson there. loves his game. And Mike Woodson's like, who are you talking about? He's an old back to the basket big. Yeah. By the way, oh, I caught on. Love to have uh, one of those. Uh, I don't know if you've been perusing Peegs.com at all. <laughs> I have not. Do you have a subscription to Peegs? Oh, well, I've got one for the Notre Dame site. Okay. And, and so I guess I, I can just get on Peegs. I didn't really realize that. So I started scrolling. Uh, oh, I didn't think you could do that. I thought you had to pay for each one individually. We have a Dusty May wants IU topic. Ah, the hot board's going already in January. And in 36 hours, <laughs> the post has 20,000 <laughs> views <laughs> and 345 responses. Get a life, people. Oh, I Hey, message boards made a comeback in the last like three years. Are we I there feel right like now? oh, they made a comeback. No, no, no. 100%. I mean, are we there with Mike Woodson? Are we really? Uh, oh, is this, sure. Is this real? Uh, yeah, I guess. Hey, listen, if Peaks. If Peaks has twenty thousand views, it's real. Do you understand? You already knew the answer to that question. Anyway. Dusty May once <laughs> IU. Appreciate Chuck Pagano joining us. Hour one. Doug Smith. From the Toronto Star will join us. What kind of player uh, is uh, are we getting here in Indy with Siakam? Well, Let's be honest. People, by the way, rave about work ethic and and all of those things with uh, Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I mean, I think the average fan has seen very little of the Toronto Raptors in the last couple seasons. So uh, Pascal Siakam will dive into that. Going to play some sound here in a second. What did you? What do you make of the conversation that? You know, Halliburton is very much in the know that they were going to take a swing and that he and Siakam have a good relationship and that they spoke apparently, you know, while all this was going down. I mean, all that all that points to being a good thing for the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm giving the star treatment too much star treatment, but honestly, if I'm Kevin Pritchard and how I operate with this team moving forward in the next few years... <laughs> 
Halliburton might be the first call I make. It might go Carlisle, then Halliburton. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think, it might be Halliburton, then, yeah, then Carlisle. Oh, I think it's Halliburton before Carlisle. <laughs> Sorry, Rick. Yeah. Uh, you know, welcome to you know just where <laughs> this world is in you know 2024 NBA. Uh, that's that. That's just how I view um, how Halliburton needs to be treated. And, and honestly, it's probably the level of respect I also have for Halliburton. Like you know, me having a little lukewarmness on this deal. Part of me is like, Kevin, you're an idiot. Just trust Tyrese Halliburton. Trust Kevin Pritchard. And again, I have been a massive fan of... I I can't think of a move Kevin Pritchard's made in the last three years that I've had a hint of disagreement with. I mean, like, all of it. I've loved the Matherin thing. I was borderline naked for weeks imagining (laughs) it, and then it it came through. Uh, Again, getting rid of Brogdon, I was like, about time. You know, breaking up of the two bigs. So... They have probably earned a lot of bit of a lot of benefit of the doubt. But yes, I think in today's climate, Andy, if your star isn't on board, it's a dangerous game and a slippery slope to play. The same agent, by the way, as Andrew Nemhard, I believe. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Pascal so it's Siakam good when the there. agent comes out and says, Yeah, we're happy. You know, talk to Pascal and everyone's happy. So it's better. What's the agent for Jonathan Taylor? What was his name? Oh, Malky. Malky. Kawa. Kawa. I was was already thinking. Now, the agent for Siakam, he has not tweeted you or retweeted you or liked any tweets. If that happens, (laughs) uh, we will break into all conversations. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski. He might if he's such a wet blanket on the deal. He might be careful. (laughs) I love if you're not 100% just fanboying up your wet blanket, but, you know, KB's going to have to carry that flag. I'll uh, I'll be... Me and Mark will be the positive ones. We're always known for optimism. He's the meat shield. Yeah. Protect us, Kevin. (laughs) Please protect us. Here's Woj yesterday. This was on SportsCenter talking about Siakam, how and why the Pacers got this done. Pascal Siakam is exactly what this Pacers team needs. Uh, a dynamic forward who can guard four positions, two-time All-Star, uh, played a significant role in that championship team in Toronto, uh, fits right into an Indiana team that is ahead of schedule with Tyrese Halliburton leading the way now for this organization. But just as importantly, though, Kevin, the confidence that Indiana has that they can re-sign Pascal Siakam to an extension this summer. Siakam has talked uh, through this process with Tyrese Halliburton. The Pacers knew how much he wanted to play in Indiana. And Indiana had something over Toronto. They had cap space this summer. So if Indiana trade – uh, Siakam had gotten traded somewhere else. That team risked the possibility of Siakam just walking in free agency to Indiana. Uh, now Indiana has him. They have a team in the East that is going to be dangerous and a lot of confidence that their relationship in Indiana uh, with Todd Ramasar, uh, Siakam's agent, uh, and uh, Andrew Nemhart, who's a guard on their team that who Ramasar also represents, that they're in position to have a long relationship with Siakam. Uh, and now this becomes, you know, that one-two punch now of Halliburton and Siakam. Uh, that's dangerous in the Eastern Conference. Any concern over five years, two hundred fifty million going to Siakam? I assume in all likelihood this summer for a guy entering his thirties. Yeah, it's the back end of that contract. You, you know, is he's not going to be worth the money on the back end of that contract? To me, the question is. Uh, how good is he at 34 and 35? Is he still a starter? Is he a really good role player? Is he, you know, a guy that you could even move on from if you wanted at the the uh, you know or, you know in that fifth year if you were to trade him depending on where your team may be? I mean that's just it, isn't it? I mean you feel good for year one, two, and three. It's year four and five where you're like we're probably not going to get the guy that's worth 22 uh, 22 points a game. We're probably not going to get that guy. Yeah, part of me does think he has a game that. That could 
age decently well. You know, it, it again, if you watch him play, it's not like this crazy, insane freak athlete that is, again, dunking on everybody and, you know, whatever. It needs this peak, peak crazy athleticism uh, to achieve that. I don't know. The analogy of Darius Leonard, Shaquille Leonard is kind of popping into my head of like, you know, that's a guy that really, really needed that. Um, I, I don't know if David West would be the right analogy, but David West had a game that could kind of age decently well, you know, face-up jump shot type of guy. Again, Siakam, very crafty from an offensive standpoint. And that, again, is probably the biggest strength. I know a lot of people, um, you know, have brought up uh, Siakam, I think, is first in transition points. Obviously, Halliburton in in transition, you know, really bona fide. Uh, to me, I, I think another question that, that I have, not just age-related, Andy, is just it almost seems like all of a sudden we've stopped talking about the biggest question we've had for the first 40 games, and that's defense. And, and that's where, again, if this is Ananobi, it's an A+. Uh, but in my mind, it, it's not, so I just can't give it that grade because, to me, it's easier to find offense when you have one of the more gifted offensive talents this league has frankly seen in years with Tyrese Halliburton. Like that, I, I think that highly of Tyrese on that end of the floor. And I have questions, obviously, about Tyrese defensively. You have questions about Buddy Heald defensively, Benedict Mather, several guys that play for the Pacers. You have questions on that end of the floor. So for me, I think it's harder to find defense, easier to find offense. And that's where I kind of side on this. I go back to, and again, Tony East is going to join us coming up at 9. You know, when Tony shared with us from last year's playoffs, if you look at the teams that advanced, you know, virtually all of them were top 10, maybe top 15, but probably more top 10 defenses in this league. I think Golden State was maybe the one that wasn't. And obviously their offense historically speaks for itself. So that's where a you know, part of my kind of lukewarm nature comes to it. It's that it's not the elite-level defensive focus, and I think that is where I was kind of hoping that, that that first big swing would go. All right, so let, let me – listen, I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. Let me flip it this way. Bruce Brown, who gets moved, is is a good defender. He's a very good defender. He also, though, lately has kind of been in and out of the lineup. We can agree with that. There have been some injury issues. He had been in and out of the lineup. Who knows the other night whether you're keeping him out because you do think, okay, this Siakam trade is something that is going to go down and Brown's going to be the very piece of it. I I know we've also had the conversation of, um, you know, uh, exactly who can Brown guard, right? You don't want to put him in a spot to where he's guarding somebody who is that much bigger than him. So Brown, I liked... I also never thought, I also thought as we went this season, the chance of him being back next year with that club option was kind of low. And so moving on from him, I I know it may affect the defense a little bit, but to me, I think that is going to be just very little. And the reason why, and it goes into the Siakam trade is, haven't they taken a group of, Kind of bad defenders in the NBA. That's what this team is. I mean, at one point this season, not too long ago, like a month ago, month and a half ago, this was a team that we were saying very openly, KB, that they just could not be historically bad 
at defense. That's how bad they were at defense. Yeah. That they were historically yeah, bad. Don't be terrible. Just so be bad. So they have went from, and you can say you can give you know the players credit, you can give Rick Carlisle and his staff credit, they have went from historically bad to not nearly as bad. I haven't checked the numbers, you know, different, all the analytics. And again, all that's going to change when Halliburton's back, Siakam's here. You become a healthy team. Eventually, in the next couple weeks, you make a move. We understand. But I guess my point is, you know, in the last month or so, they've got a lot better at defense. Why couldn't adding Pascal Siakam to the mix... Why couldn't he become part of that culture of, hey, we're historically great at offense, but we're also getting better as a team defensively? And it goes back to what I said. Bruce Brown's been in and out of the lineup the, the last several weeks uh, as well. I don't know. If you, if you put those two things, and then the third thing for me is this move doesn't mean that they're done. And that's not only this year, this trade deadline, this offseason, but that they're done as a whole. They need to be better defensively and maybe with the remaining flexibility and some of the draft stuff they'll have and some free agents that will be out there that they can still improve that. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, that still can get but It's still a thing to worry about. It's still something that they can go out and get better and in the last month, they've proven that if they work on it, they can be historically not that bad at defense. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe defensively, is it a wash? Like, you would move Jalen Smith to the bench and Pascal Siakam kind of enters for that. And then, you know, who, who I guess who starts with Bruce Brown leaving? Is it Buddy Heald? I mean, obviously, that is not an improvement on the defensive no. the floor. So, it, I, I, don't, I don't know. Probably necessarily. is. You know, I, I would say, at best, it's a wash defensively moving forward. Um, I am very, very interested to see what happens in the next three weeks because on paper, there is a glaring trade that probably needs to happen with the logjam of Obi Toppin and Jalen Smith. So what does that net you? What does that get you? Uh, is Buddy Heald a part of that? Do you look at that expiring deal um, and, and think, okay, the, here's an opportunity. I mean, a Buddy Heald, Obi Toppin trade package on paper, I mean, that would probably net you something pretty good in return, I would think. So I'm very interested to see is this a precursor of another deal? Is there something else out there? And again, in three weeks, so much can change on what teams view as who's available, who's not available, those sorts of things with it. Let's say, let's just play out the hypothetical. There is no other move. And let's say this is the Pacers group for the rest of the season. Where do you slot them in the East? Okay, so I thought before the Halliburton injury that they were going to get one of those top six seeds. Yeah, I was a big five so, or six so, seed, 45 win guy. So I, 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 think, I think I probably had them slotted at six. I think you go make a move like this, and if everyone stays healthy, I think the expectation should absolutely be that they are one of those top six teams. In fact, I might even say, uh, I need to look at the standings this morning, but you know, being, being, being the five seed, being the five seed, right now they're the seven, but again, the Knicks are five, uh, the so Heater you don't four. Have a, much of a jump from your preseason expectations. I, well, here, here's my problem. I, you're not catching Boston, Milwaukee, and to me, Philadelphia. Th- those three. So the best I think the Pacers could be, and they're only a game behind Cleveland in the, in the win column. Cleveland has 24 wins. You have 23. Isn't it still crazy jumbled? Oh, I mean, it is. I, they're not going to draw. I think what it is is with the Halliburton injury and the way the team was constructed – I was worried 
hey, if Halliburton has an extended injury, what is this team for sure going to be able to make the playoffs? Or if so, are they going to be, you know, 9, 10 seed? And how are we going to view that? With Siakam, I believe that floor has raised quite a bit. The ceiling has raised as well. Do not get me wrong. But now the floor has raised to where I don't want to hear anything about the 8, 9, 10 seed uh, playing games or any of that oh, BS. that would be worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to hear well, any of that. you traded away your own yeah, pick n- with what? Yeah, a top yeah, three n- protection now on I am Now I'm zeroed in. I would say I'm more concrete in zeroing in on trying to at least be that five seed. Perhaps the four. Again, Cleveland 24 wins and you have 23 and you've been the last week and a half without Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. Let me play one other clip for you. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, J.J. Redick yesterday on his podcast was talking about the offensive fit Siakam going to the Pacers. Siakam leads the NBA in field goal percentage in transition. Tyrese Halliburton leads the NBA in assists in transition. You talk about the spacing. The Pacers right now, everybody thinks of them as, oh, we're going to play at a fast pace and shoot threes. They lead the NBA in paint points. They lead the NBA in most made layups and dunks. And Pascal Siakam right now is on pace to set his career high for most layups and dunks made per game. This is, to me, a perfect fit offensively. This is the number one team, the team with the greatest offensive efficiency so far in NBA history. And to me, they're adding a guy that fits perfectly. So that's Jay. Go ahead. Well, Sorry. I, right there. He almost had an emphasis on offensively. O- offensively. 100%. And, and this gets back to my point, Andy, of like with Halliburton, to me, you're so gifted on that end of the floor already. It's like, do you need to take great and be exceptional? And this gets back into some of the debate that we had earlier in the season. Should we just accept, you know, maybe the Pacers just need to be the first one to 140 every night, the first one to 150 every night. And that's the goal. Um, and I think you can look at the playoffs, Andy, from two sides of it. You can look at the playoffs, and you know, again, I mentioned what Tony East shared with us a few weeks back of when you get to that part of the season, defense becomes much more apparent, much more needed, however you want, want to describe it. The game's different. Things slow down. Possessions are valued more than they are in the regular season. Scouting Everybody knows upgrade. it. I right. mean, look at the end season. Well, you face even. a team five games, seven games, sure. So that is one angle to look at the playoffs. Now, the other angle, and this is where the Siakam trade becomes, I think, a definite positive, is in the postseason, if they're putting all their eggs into takeaway Halliburton basket, then all of a sudden, now in, in Siakam, you have a guy that you throw the ball to, and really outside of Matherin, how many guys in this team do you say, hey, go get the ball and go get us a bucket? Right. That's where I do think you can look at it. And, and again, I laid it out earlier. There are some pros to this trade, and again, there are some questions I have about this trade. The pros, J.J. Reddick just said it. Offensively, it... It, 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 it makes all the sense in the world, right? Like yeah, putting a star next to Halliburton, offense, it makes all the sense, but right? But on the other end... What's the sacrifice there? Or maybe is it just like, to me, if I'm giving up this sort of trade, I look at it from Ananobi, it's an elite-level defender. To me, that's harder to find than elite offense. I think you're already at elite offense. So now it's like, okay, can you try and get to elite defense as well? Or, you know, maybe elite is too you know big of a swing defensively. Can you get to, you know, upper uh, level or average defense moving forward. And instead of, whatever, Tatum and Giannis and Jimmy Butler having a historic night against you, maybe they don't have an historic night. Maybe 38 becomes 29. And is that the difference for you? I, I think that's where I kind of view the defensive swing of an Ananobi versus a Siakam who, 
is entering age 30, and you're about to give $250 million to him. So is your grief with the trade more that they didn't do that for OG? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So- and, and, and I get it's a different look at trade package. I have team swing, very much team swing. And I, if you look at what the Knicks gave up, or what the Knicks, yeah. Well, the Knicks, I mean, Emmanuel quickly is way better than anything the Pacers <laughs> that, gave up. Well, that would fall into more of a Matherin trade. Oh, yeah. Or the Matherin, you know, Matherin or Jairus Walker, Walker would have so, had to so be attached to that. But again, my, sure. my puzzle piece is you're so damn efficient offensively. And I mean, the class of the NBA right now, I think you're good there. I look at it more from a... Can you help out the other side of the floor and raise that ship to being stable? Because when you get to April and May, just look at past history. That part of the floor has got to rise. If it doesn't rise, the days that, I mean, look at scores in the playoffs. You don't see teams put up 130, 140 on a routine basis like you do in the regular season. That's where my question comes in at it. And then just a little bit as well. I think we fell into a trap of like, if you don't get Siakam, you're getting no one. I don't view the Pacers in 2024 in that light. I view Halliburton as being damn attractive to a lot of players around the league, and I think there would have been other players of this ilk that it might not be readily available right now, but if you show a little bit of patience, they they would be available. Let me ask you this, and by the way, Siakam's going to be wearing number 43. Do you know the last player to wear number 43? I did see this uh, you, earlier. You today. saw this. Uh-huh. Mark Pope all the way back in 1999. Now, if I'm not mistaken, number one, is he still coaching like Utah State or something like BYU? I think he was coaching. Yeah, great and then poll, yeah. At, at Kentucky, he he did the, the free... BYU beat Iowa State the other night with Halliburton <laughs> in the building? This they, is they, all coming full it's circle. It's all coming together. Wasn't He's he still the, at BYU. There you go. Wasn't he the one that did the free throws where, where his, I mean, for lack of better terms, his ass was nearly on the ground? Remember he bent way down when he when he did the free throws? You, oh, you don't, God, you, There's no. no reason you would remember that. There was no looking reason. Looking up at the ceiling right now. Speaking of of Kentucky, did you see Kentucky fans put a banner up near the NCAA headquarters here in Indianapolis? Oh, no. One of their players is still not eligible. Uh, an overseas player who probably played. He's been playing since he was 12 years old. Forever. I'm so mad. I'm going to go to India and put a yeah. sign up. And the guy, the so guy, they drove up from Lexington. No, no the, guy, the guy that did it, I saw it on Twitter. His handle was like Big Blue, uh, it was like Big Blue Man or something. It was something very stereotypical. So I might go over and try to take a picture. It's over That's there by the It's over there by the NCAA headquarters. Uh, we'll get to a check down here in a second. Again, Tony East going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. We'll talk about all this. Uh, Toronto, what did they give up what what kind of player uh, are we getting here in Indianapolis Doug Smith will join us we need not forget in all of this KB that uh you know you know the defense stuff how he fits offensively uh flexibility the good and bad you know Woj did you know put out last night I need to find that during the break that you know they tried to get OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam they tried to get both of these guys it was not an either or in the end at least for right now they do keep Matherin and Walker. Yeah, and, and, and that's a big part. And that's that yesterday a, at this time. We, we don't I need to for, be there. No, I, I. We don't need to forget that because you lose picks and you lose flexibility. 
But if you believe in yourself and you believe that, you know, Walker, lottery pick, Matherin, lottery pick, that these guys are going to blossom. And we haven't seen almost any of Walker uh, at the NBA level. But if you believe that Matherin can go from the guy who's 15 a game to 21 a game, he can take that step to being a starter. And that Jairus Walker in your program, in your system can do the same. Right now, they have protected you know, move, you know, if you take picks and young assets, they have protected thus far the thing that people wanted to see them keep in Walker and Matherin. People don't care about like that's why the picks to me it got padded yesterday when those guys stayed. I say I, I can live with it because you don't have anything coming in in 2024. Let's say they don't they don't make any moves and they don't have a first round pick in 2024. It's almost more okay because Walker basically is having what a red shirt year this year, right? I mean, can you can you view it that yeah, way I mean, at all? I'm ide- spitting this positive, obviously. Yeah, in an ideal world, ideal world, and I didn't really think too much about this until the trade actually happened yesterday afternoon. You know, to your point, Andy, you're you know you're a little bit worried, as I am, obviously. Of you know, fifty million at age thirty four and thirty five is pretty rich. Um, at that point, have you passed the torch to Walker? I think that's ideally what you would do here. And again, another part of the reason where, uh, to me, Obi Toppin and or Jalen Smith, they've got to be moved by by the I Probably Toppin, if I had to vote for one. I don't know if that would net you more in return, how that would be viewed around the league. Uh, but that, obviously, is something to keep an eye on here three weeks from today. We'll get more on the Toronto aspect of it. Uh, I think Pascal Siakam, by all accounts, pretty beloved from his time in, in Toronto. Quite the development story. Uh, certainly for the Raptors and that championship team a handful of years ago. So Doug Smith going to join us here in about five minutes who covers the Raptors to chat more about that. Tony East at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, let's do a morning check down. The morning check down. Brought to you by the Barbasol Horizon League Basketball Championships. March starts here at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, March 11th and 12th. All right, a couple different things. Uh, if you don't mind here, KB, I want to throw a couple different sounds your way. Just reaction around the NBA as the big move yesterday, Pascal Siakam coming here to Indianapolis. Now, Woj was on SportsCenter, and he one of the things that he talked about was this from the Raptors' viewpoint. He went on how they're going to rebuild around Scotty Barnes, Emmanuel quickly, and everything else. Uh, and then at the end, he just threw in a nugget that you have talked about all morning about Siakam wanting to play with Halliburton. And now there's an Indian. Indiana team, you know, that gets an all-star level forward to plug in. And listen, you, you talk to players around the league. There are no shortage of guys who love the idea of playing with Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. Siakam was among them. So there you go. Figured I'd throw that out there. That makes you feel pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> that was that was in the middle of all the Raptors conversation. I thought, oh, that's a nice little thing. Uh, Brian Windhorse also yesterday on ESPN. Uh, what the Pacers are getting with Siakam, and now as we've you know had the conversation this morning, the raised expectations here in Indy. Well, the Pacers are getting a high level player. Siakam has been All NBA twice. He's not a number one, but they're hoping they have a number one in Tyrese Halliburton, and they're. 
They're getting that guy without giving up any of their core rotation players. Not even Ben Matherin, who's Canadian and is one of their one of the best bench players in the league. So for the Pacers to be able to acquire a player like this, yes, they're giving up some draft picks, but 2024 draft picks are not highly valued. It's a big hit for them. I think it definitely brings them into contention to get into that top four, and that's what you want to do. You, there's those three teams in the East that are sort of a cut above everybody else. The fight is really for home court in the first round, and I think the Pacers, once Tyrese Halliburton gets ready, will, will, will be able to try to chase that right now. Boy, that race for the four seed is going to be wild here in the second that, half of the season. That That's the conversation. Go be the four seed. And honestly, yeah. five means a lot more than six, because five means you'd be playing whatever, a Miami, a New York, a Cleveland versus a Philly or a Boston or a Milwaukee in round one. Again, tonight for the Pacers, it's actually the midway point of the season. Uh, 23-17 and 17 on the year. They are an eight-point underdog tonight in Sacramento. The biggest news for tonight, no Siakam, of course, uh, no Bruce Brown, of course, as that trade still gets uh, you know, officially finalized physicals and all of that. Uh, but Tyrese Halliburton is listed as questionable. Questionable for tonight. It's the first time in his absence he's not been listed as an outright out for the game. So at least... A return appears to be nearing for Halliburton. I think Rick Carlisle kind of hinted at that with us here uh, yesterday, but certainly something to keep an eye on for tonight. Andy, anything on your end? I know we want to get to Doug Smith. No, but it, quiet it, night locally. It, it was. Ole Miss was the only top 25 team that lost last night in college basketball. <laughs> Ole Miss, the only one. Shout Chris out to Beard. Christian Siakam's alma yeah. mater. The Jags got a big they win over the done. Mastodons on Wednesday night. We'll talk with Greg Regstraw about that. Tomorrow. All right, on the other side, from the Toronto point of view, Doug Smith covers the Raptors. He joins us next. Yeah, through it all, I think, KB, you mentioned it, uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Unquestionable tonight. Pacers back in action. 10 o'clock, that one in Sacramento. 9.30 hour coverage right here on the fan. All right, let's go on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline from the Toronto star. Doug Smith joins us here on this Thursday uh, on the fan. We'll talk about everything Pascal Siakam-wise with him. Doug, good morning. Thanks for joining us, man. How are you? My pleasure, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us. I guess let's start here. Uh, fill in a blank for me, Doug, if you don't mind. The thing that Siakam is going to bring to the Pacers ASAP is going to be what? Passion and professionalism. Okay. Expound on that if you can. The guy is just a, he's a basketball player. He works hard. He's the first guy in the gym, last guy out. He plays with a, an energy that, that is sort of infectious. And he's a tremendous, tremendous player. Like, he's going to – he should thrive playing next to Halliburton. Um, he's going to take an awful lot of load off him offensively. And I, I think people – I think he might have been kind of hidden playing up here. But he's a really, really, really good basketball player that the fans, are, I think, are really going to take to. Uh, Doug, for those that maybe have not watched Siakam all- – Offensively, I think crafty uh, in a way. At times, I'm like it's kind of an old school throwback. Could you describe exactly how he goes about, you know, his whatever 20, 25 points a night? Well, he, he's become a, an adept three point shooter, but he, he's really good as a post guy. He's got a great spin move in, in traffic. He's able to finish at the rim uh, very, very well. I think he, he he's going to be a really great guy in a pick and roll because he can handle the ball and get in the paint and create havoc. And he's also I think the thing that's really emerged in the last 18 months, he's a really good and willing passer. 
Like he doesn't need to get the shots up. He's gonna he's gonna find the he's gonna make the right basketball play. And I think that on that roster with all those shooters and all those great young guards, that aspect of his game is really gonna come through. Doug Smith with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, we've talked a lot here because offensively, boy, the Pacers are good. They're good already. Then you bring in Siakam, so we already know that they uh, are an offensive team, putting up numbers, you know, the best numbers in decades in the NBA. De- but defense, that's been the conversation. Uh, and, you know, the, the the Pacers ran on a guy like OG Ananobi, and he definitely would have helped them defensively. Siakam playing defense, what kind of a defender is he? Well, he's probably never going to make an all-defensive team, but he's not going to kill you. He can guard his man. Um, you know, he's probably, he probably could be stronger and a little bit more physical. Maybe not the greatest rebounder out there, but he's a passable defender. He's not going to hurt you. He may not turn the team's fortunes around immediately, but he's not going to cost him a lot of baskets. He's not going to give up 30 and get 28, that kind of guy. Doug, did it surprise you at all, the difference in trade packages? I know their ages are different, um, but did it, it, it surprise you at all the difference in what maybe the Knicks gave up for OG and Anobi compared to the Pacers with Pascal Siakam? Yeah, a little bit. I thought, I thought the Raptors would have found a way to get a guy who could fit into the rotation now for Siakam, and they didn't get that. They got the picks, which are well, – they, they didn't have a 2024 pick. Now they have two in the first round. And even if it's a bad draft, they still got – bits that they could parcel off if they wanted to. Um, but, uh, again, a 29-year-old guy who's going into a free agent year, and I would presume that the Knicks know that they're going to re-sign OG Ananobi. I'm not sure the Pacers know they're going to re-sign Siakam. And I think that might be a bit of a difference in the, in the, in the two packages as well. Certainly has a huge element to this trade here if you can re-sign him or not. Again, Doug Smith is with us here, covers the Raptors for the star.com. Did I see you're a friend of Mike Wells, Doug? If so, I, I apologize. One of the all-time greats, Mikey, is. I knew him back in the incarnation when he was a basketball writer like a thousand years ago. One of the best. But I, now he, he's an he astute professor. He's going to go to Oxford, I think, and oh, man. be a professor moving forward here. <laughs> yeah, he always had that kind of professorial, knowledgeable uh, aura about him. <laughs> he is a great, great human. Um, last one from me on the Siakam front. You mentioned 29, you know, in all likelihood, whether it's, I assume it's with the Pacers, but we'll see, you know, a, a huge extension is upcoming for him. His game's a little throwback. Does that make you think he's got a little bit more staying power, like into his 30s, uh, you know, with that contract, you know, whatever, being 250-some million as he gets a little closer to his mid-30s? Yeah, I, I, I think he... He, he's, he takes care of his body really well. He's, he's very cognizant of the need for rest, rehab, weightlifting, eating right. He's been very durable. He hasn't been hurt a lot in his career. And I think uh, he's a young 29, let's put it that way. I think he's, kind of, he's got the game where uh, he's not going to punish himself. I think playing into his mid-30s is absolutely, at a high level, absolutely possible. Do you think the Pacers, I don't know, how much was this, and Doug Smith with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, how much, and you would know, how, how much of this was, hey, we're the Raptors, we got to get something. They've let guys leave in free agency and you know notable names, notable players in franchise history and got little to nothing on their way out. How much of this was, if we're not going to re-sign him and we're not going to re-sign him, we have to get something for him. How much do you think that was brought up in the back and forth with any of the teams, including the Pacers? Oh, that was a huge part of it, guys. A huge part of it because they only lost Fred VanVleet last summer for nothing. Uh, Serge Ibaka left the championship team for nothing. Marcus Saul for nothing. 
Kawhi left for, for to go home in L.A. Now, they did turn Kyle Lowry into a, a couple of players that they sort of packaged off, but they've never got a great return for a leaving star. And they needed they could not go into the summer uh, and risk Siakam Walker for nothing. And even if the two picks turned out to be average players, at least they got them in their pocket. And that was that drove, I think, I think that that and the emergence of Scotty Barnes drove this trade to happen right now. And you know, maybe the Pacers two picks were the best. The three picks were the best offer they got out there. Obviously, they were. That's what they took. But yeah, that, the risk of Siakam leaving and getting nothing in return was a huge driver in any transaction they were going to do with him. So Bruce Brown gets about a half a season here, comes in as a free agent. Will he Will he get to unpack his bags in Toronto, or do you think the Raptors <laughs> will flip him? Or uh, is he just going to send his suitcase to another city? <laughs> I, I think he could probably fit it in the rotation for the 40 game, 41 games that are left. I don't presume that they would pick up his $23 million option next year. I think that's a, that's a stretch. Um, I'm sure maybe there are teams out there that are in, like contending teams that want a guy like that coming off a championship year, maybe they can flip him in the next three weeks, two and a half weeks. But I don't think he's a long-term piece, and neither are the other two guys. I think this is all about getting something for Siakam, getting back in the draft, and he, even if they could attach one of the 24 picks to another player in another trade, that's another part of it. Doug, I, don't think, I don't think Bruce Brown's going to be starting on Friday on, on Saturday night in New York. Let's put it that way. Sorry for interrupting mm. there, Doug. Great stuff. Appreciate your insight here uh, on this Thursday morning, and uh, we'll certainly tell Mike Wells that you said hello. <laughs> Please do it. I'm a big fan of Indy. I've had more than my share of shrimp cocktails and ribeyes, and <laughs> I may or may not have spent the end of a night in the Slippery Noodle one time. Ah, you certainly are <laughs> not the last person that will say that. Doug, thank you. All right, guys. Take care. That's Doug Smith right there on the Payless Slickers Highline. Good stuff from the Toronto side of it. I, did he, I don't know, I, did he express a little hesitancy about Siakam re-signing here in Indy? I, Ooh, I just assume that, that's like... That was music to your ears, right? What? Because you're hesitant <laughs> about the trade in general, so him not re-signing would get you a little pause. No, KB would rather well, be tra- wrong on this than, uh, yeah, I, than I, have I'm him not, not sure sign. No. Not work at all. That is not where I'm at. Yeah, if Siakam goes and signs with a lot the, of financial stake yeah. in the Pacers doing The YouTube well this chat season. disagrees, Kevin. Yeah. If Max is going to college, the Pacers need to win 40, yeah. was it 45 and a half games. There is a lot of financial stake here at well, this. Well, the Pacers, listen, the Pacers feel confident on it. Like, to me, I think what you said at like 7-15 – They've earned the benefit of the doubt on oh, this certainly. one. If we walk in here and Siakam in, you know, in July has signed with, you know, Sacramento has signed with Boston, signed with Atlanta or something else, then yes, we'll revisionist history say it's a complete disaster. You think he was going sausage, egg, and biscuit there? <laughs> I was told- hoping it was Tim Hortons breakfast. Dude, he was, Tim Hortons is great. He was totally eating something. Tim Hortons biscuit. <laughs> Doug Smith was eating something, right? Or he had a maybe he had a cough drop. I did get a little nervous of where he was going to say he was late night at the end of that interview. Slippery Noodle was one of the safer answers. <laughs> I was about to say that's a safe answer. Thinking about with that answer there. Um, I, I yeah, the YouTube chat mark is not happy with me, right? 
they're not pleased. They want me doing la- I, I Maybe they're used to me doing laps around the circle naked for some of these moves, <laughs> and because I'm not doing that here, they're very, very. Well, see, I, wait, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't. Can I say that I don't like that? You, you are, you are fair. I think we're pretty fair. There's going to be moves. There's going to be games. There's going to be decisions that we, you know, either don't like or at least question parts of it. And I think it's okay to question parts of it and not just run around, you know, monument circle without clothes on. I think that's okay. I'd like to go back, if you don't mind, and read the tweet that I sent out after this trade happened around 3 o'clock yesterday just to explain. Again, I think uh, people are acting like, I I I want this dude shipped out of town immediately. (laughs) The the tweet, I should say, read like this. What I like, legit score, creator at a position of need, and you show Tyrese Halliburton that you're swinging. I mean, I think those are big things that are huge wins for the Pacers in this move. I mean, hell, we've been talking about finding a four-man for a while. The questions that I laid out, it doesn't match others' timeline. I would like to see anyone disagree with that from an age standpoint. Uh, what did Doug call him? Did Doug call him a passable defender? Was that the phrase that he yes, used? Yes, a passable defender. He's okay. not going to help you, but he's not going to hurt you. So Pacers I, would use passable, I yeah. think. I said <laughs> as a good. question, defensive questions remain. I, I don't think that is that far-fetched. Uh, I think it limits you from much else major in the next one to two years. Handing someone $250 million when you are a franchise that doesn't sniff the luxury tax. I think that does limit you sure compared it does. to where you were sure this time yesterday. And then lastly, and this is the true unknown, but do injury questions grow post age 30? I would like for anyone out there to say, read, listen to that tweet and say to me where I am dead wrong or where I think this is a total failure of a trade. There are a lot of positives. To acquiring a, acquiring a player like Pascal Siakam, I also think there are some legit questions that need to be asked. And if you don't want to ask them, I just think you're naive to acting like you know whatever. This is start, J- this is JMV's fault. He did this. Start itching the banner. Yeah, he did this at five oh one yesterday. Like you he started did. it. He did. But no. did you start it? Here, I'll I'll read you. Here, da, 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 let me find this real quick. I was walking the dogs. I finally got the dogs out of the house a little bit. He blamed you, and you're blaming he him. He did. Well, that's what we do. <laughs> a lot of maturity here in the sports radio world. Oh, goodness. How do I have JMV saved? Uh, what what sounds I go, best? I go, wet, be, wet blanket, moist blanket, or damp blanket? Uh, just, wet blanket Bowen has a nice ring to it. Uh, just The word moist is a word that some people just don't like. Yeah. I don't care, but I'm saying there's some people that probably cringe every time you use that. Uh, I go, KB's not thrilled with the trade. He wanted them to wait a little bit, but was more accepting if he signed a long-term deal. I put, I'm with you. Go win late first-round picks. Uh, you're good at getting role guys anyway. Pacer, he didn't care about my analysis. Pacers can find <laughs> them and develop easily. And JMV texts me back, let's rip his ass. Done! There, there we go. I think that the reason why I feel more positive about this trade is the 2024 first round picks. I mean, the 2024 draft class is nothing to write home about at all. It's it looks all four like a players. bust of a draft. Right. So getting I, rid of those is fine. And I think there isn't a lockdown defender that's currently available. I don't even know who that person would be that the Pacers could acquire. So if you're getting a guy that can ride with Halliburton offensively, maybe, you know, the trade deadline's still over a month away. You get that trade down the road. You get that defensive player down the road, whether it's a Buddy Heald deal or somebody right that to unload that way. No, and I think that's a very fair and good point to bring up, Mark. And I think I've said it several times this morning. I'm very interested to see over the next three weeks what else happens because I don't think this is the end of it. I, I, I mean, on paper, I mean, if you're Obi Toppin or Jalen Smith, you're like, wait a minute, what? I mean, and this probably does this slams the door shut on Jarris Walker ever playing meaningful minutes this season, right? 
I, I didn't think he was going to. Right. I, I, but but I yes, but it there does. Was some hope, I think, at times of like at the end of the year, he could become a role could player. He crack sure, some sort of rotation. Sure. Uh, which again, I am of the thinking. I know a lot of people are like. Well, the eighth overall pick can't even get on the floor as a rookie. I'm like, guys, there are plenty of examples in NBA history. I mean, Pascal Siakam spent the early part of his career in the G League. Like, uh, that does not mean that all of a sudden this guy can't play or you should bail on him or anything along those lines. When I say that tweet, Andy, what's the thing you disagree with the most? Probably in the question, because I think you agree with the like. So, of the questions I laid out, doesn't match others' timeline. Defensive questions do remain. Limits you from ma- uh, much else major in the next one to two years. Injury questions grow post-30. Of those four things, which one do you disagree with? Uh, I, I, w- I would say it's probably the third one. Uh, it, it does limit you, but I am scared that, uh, and this is how I think many Pacer fans view it, that we don't, and if, if this trade didn't happen, KB, and we found out, okay, it was three first-rounders, Jordan War, Bruce Brown Jr., okay, I don't have another name to give you of, okay, the Pacers can be attached to this player. Which Grant was it? Oh, someone. Jeremy? I think so. Jeremy was one of my favorite Uh, Notre Dame players. (laughs) It was one of the Grant brothers that, you know, if this doesn't work out, they would have been attached to that guy. Jeremy Grant was kind of a popular name. I think that's who it was. And so... To me, that would have been not Pascal Siakam. So, and even if you move Grant out of the way, I would have sat here saying, yes, in the next 18 months or so, sure, somebody is going to be frustrated at their, you know, they're going to want more money. They're frustrated. A rebuild's coming. They're frustrated with a number of things. We understand that player empowerment is so vital. It's so prominent. It leads the NBA. I mean, it's one reason why, you know, Jonathan Taylor did it in the NFL. We're like, yeah, this doesn't always work like this in the NFL. But it absolutely. I mean, look what James Harden has yeah. done his entire career. Ten times. Out of I, I the think NBA. that. I think that would be my thing. I agree with your point, but having Siakam instead of wondering who might get pissed off at their organization in the next twelve to eighteen months, boy, I can sell Siakam a lot more than hey, someone might not be happy, and we might be able to trade somebody. The problem you also Maybe have a soap opera. You don't he, have to worry about that. Here's the problem you have though, contract wise. The reason maybe you had to do something now is you have Buddy Healed unrestricted after this season. You have the Obi Toppin. Uh, he is restricted, but you know the thought of bringing him back and Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. So you have three or four friendly contracts. A couple of these contracts, KB, that you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to do something with, right? Either re-sign a guy or they're going to become an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, even a guy like Andrew Nemhard, who's not making very much, you have a club option in 2025, and then in 26, he's unrestricted. The reason I bring that up is you just have, you know, Neesmith signed that three-year deal. You have a contract-wise, you had to do something maybe now to, to kind to kind of thin that herd just a little bit. That would be something I would throw back at you. And yeah, the pushback I, from the chat is that the timeline is Tyrese Halberton. Tyrese Halberton is the timeline that the Pacers should be lining everything up with. Right. Siakam's seven years older than him. Yeah, but he's they still... They would say their contracts align the same. Yeah, the timeline Halliburton, is now. six-year uh, deal, Siakam a five-year deal is what they're saying. saying. Okay, okay. Hey, you're I, saying he's a little bit older. If Siakam were 27, going to be 28 those couple years... I think would. I mean, and also you might have had to give up somebody. 
Oh, in this. I mean, again, the Pacers didn't give up yeah, I don't a act player like that hurt them. The trade would have been the exact same sort of trade. No, I, I don't want to act like that at all. Um, all right, on the other side, Tony East can join us here in about 10 minutes. Uh, we'll do that coming up and get the Pacers side of it uh, from him in about 10. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Coming up top of the hour, Tony East going to join us. We'll see what he thinks about uh, all the happenings. Pascal Siakam going to the Pacers. will wear number 43, the first player to do so since the great Mark Pope all the way back in 1999. Just some non-Pacers stuff. I was looking at ESPN.com today. And Dan Graziano and Jeremy Fowler do a thing where they gave they gave their picks. I think it was maybe just Graziano of ESPN.com. He gave us picks on on who they uh, all these job openings in the NFL. You want me to read these to you? Well, I guess you want to guess on where some of these oh uh, landed. Uh, I, I You'll know rather, some of them. Okay, Atlanta. Have you read it to me. <laughs> Atlanta uh, getting Bill Belichick? So the Atlanta Falcons. He's predicting Bill Belichick. The Carolina Panthers, uh, Brian Callahan, who is the uh, Big Callahan's son. What's that movie? I can't remember. Which movie is that, Mark? Like Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan. Son, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. That's exactly Nothing right. Nothing says, like, let's give the least known candidate to the crazy <laughs> owner. Yeah. Is that what that well, is? He's the OC for the Bengals. I, I guess um, it makes sense for Bryce Young. Uh, it has the Raiders keeping Antonio Pierce. The Chargers getting Jim Harbaugh. The Seattle Seahawks getting Mike Vrabel. I kind of like that fit culturally. Yeah. yeah. And then the Tennessee Titans getting Aaron Glenn, who is, is he the DC in At Detroit? In Detroit. Detroit. Right. Okay. I think he was here for the opening last year. Yep. So his name's been kicked around. And then Ben Johnson would be taking over for the Washington Commanders. So no Dan Quinn, no Bobby Slowick of the Houston OC. Am that, I, who else am I missing on that? Those are the main two names that you're, uh, that you're missing. So that's Dan Graziano of ESPN.com. So good for those guys. And for those that missed it late last night, Jerry Jones with a public, very public backing of Mike McCarthy and that Mike McCarthy will return. I am a bit surprised by that, to be honest with you. Great move, Jerry. It's a great move for you, Jerry. Jerry Jones and patience is not something that I would think. I'm like, does Mike McCarthy have blackmail on Jerry Jones here? (laughs) Uh, And then it sounds like Nick Sirianni is safe in Philly. That might be premature for me to say, but wasn't there a report of like, Sirianni's talking to coordinator, assistant coach candidates, which leads you to think like like Matt Eberflus in Chicago. It's, mm-hmm. no, no, go fire someone mm-hmm. underneath you. You can keep your job. Yeah. Is Sirianni a good coach? If he got fi- if he got fired today, would one of these would one of these places I, I say would think oh, so? We, would one of these places jump to hire him? So is six games overriding a Super Bowl run and a ten to one start to this year? The fact that we're having the conversation, the answer to that is yes. Isn't that kind of wild? It's completely wild. My other question was going to be. Are coaches who usually stick up for other coaches, are coaches, if Sirianni were fired today, going to lose their mind? A guy that just took his team to the Super Bowl uh, was 10 and 1 this season and still made the playoffs, right, right. gets fired. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because mm-hmm. usually they do when it comes to those sorts of things. Yeah, that's like Kalen DeBoer, Alabama expectations that he would be walking into versus what the rest of college football accepts as a little bit more of a <laughs> relatively normal 
standard. I just had a big smile on my face that the Cowboys kept Mike McCarthy. Me too. It's a great, Uh, great job. Suck on that all week. Yeah, you do, Jerry. (laughs) Good job, Jerry. Easy transition to Tony (laughs) East next. Nine o'clock hour broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. We appreciate you making us a part of your day here on uh, Siakam Thursday as we've been breaking that down for much of the show. Also, Chuck Pagano joined us. He's fantastic, by the way. That guy needs to do more media. I know he's just doing McAfee. That guy needs to be on some shows. I like him. He's good. Always enjoy. Oh, Chuck. he's fantastic. I just Candid. like that he smacked Kevin over the head five <laughs> gotta, seconds after getting on the air. I just, I just like that we may have hit the dumb bun three seconds into the interview. All those things that I appreciate. A couple questionable dumb button moments. <laughs> there was one in the middle. I was like, did he say I what know, I think he I said? Know, yeah. uh, but check all that out. 1075thefan.com. All right, let's head on back on uh, to the Payless Liquors hotline. A man who's been very busy here the last uh, 18 hours or so. His name is Tony East. SI.com locked on Pacers, Forbes, WTHR, many different places. You can find him. Tony, thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Uh, it's weird. Uh, it's just been a wild 18 hours. I've been on my phone quite a lot. So excited to be talking and not smashing my thumbs into some letters, typing out a tweet or a text or something. <laughs> much better. Well, there you go. Uh, get a couple hours off after uh, after you you're on time, with us. Yeah, we, we do appreciate it. Let me ask you this just to get things going. Um, what do you love most about this trade, it can be on the floor, off the floor. What do you What do you love most about the trade, and, and what is the biggest question mark still with the Pacers surrounding this trade yesterday? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to be talking to you guys about this again because the, I think this was where you, know, you guys asked me. I think it was you, Kevin, a couple months ago about Siakam or Ananobi, which one I thought was a better fit with the Pacers. Yeah, I think that he just exactly the team. Let's reset. Let's reset here. Bring it back out. We got an offensive rebound. Time to reset. Tony's in the bunker. That's where he's at right now. He's uh, in the NBA free agency bunker. To be fair to Tony, I did text him before the trade went down. I was like, you know what? We'd love to have you on tomorrow because I do remember this conversation, Andy. He was very much pro Siakam. Because that was different than us, wasn't it? We kind of wanted OG Ananobi at the time. And, and, you know, as much as I've said today, I should probably give Kevin Pritchard and Tyrese Halbert the benefit of the doubt. Tony East is so bleeping smarter, much smarter than me, that I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I am just an idiot to have any sort of skepticism or questions about this because Tony East is a genius. And I, and I literally mean I, that. I don't know if I like you bending the knee that much I to Tony him. East. Okay. I love him. Uh, Tony, you're back. Uh, hopefully we got you connected. Again, I ask you, and you were you were just explaining how you love the fit with Siakam. What I asked you was, what do you love most uh, and what is still the biggest question mark surrounding everything that went down yesterday? Yeah, they finally have the forward, right? So the guy they've been needing for forever, a really great fit with with them offensively, really great fit with Tyrese Halliburton, right? And I think that all is, is fantastic for the Pacers. And really, it kind of allows everybody to slide naturally into their position, right? I think that's an underrated part of this, too. There's going to be small forwards guarding small forwards for the Pacers. Now there's going to be centers playing center. There's no, you know, a six foot three guy guarding a seven footer like we saw on Monday of this week, for example. That has to happen as often going forward. It just really plugs a lot of holes for them. And now I think the questions that come are one immediate short-term stuff with their expiring contract guys. And they have a new direction, buddy Hill, Obi Toppin, for example, but really the direction part of this is fascinating. Their timeline is now 
the timeline of Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halbert. Can they develop at the same time as they're trying to win on that timeline, or do they need to hit the accelerator with every player on the roster? If you're not ready to compete and be a part of the Pacers winning ways very soon, are you right for this roster? I think those are the questions they're going to have to answer in the next year that are a really interesting part of this because it felt like for a while they were on a development-ish timeline, pretty young team, a lot of guys on rookie-scale deals in their rotation now. It's like, well, <laughs> you've got two stars in your starting lineup. You're going for it. Tony, part of the reason I love having you on, your opinions are great, but I also think from an educational standpoint, you you provide a ton. And so this is more of an educational question than anything. Could you explain to me and to our entire audience <laughs> about the money the Pacers can offer Pascal Siakam now in the offseason compared to the rest of the NBA? Yeah, they have his bird rights now. Uh, the, team that, the team that has a player when the season ends that was on a three-plus-year deal uh, has their bird rights. So the Pacers have Siakam's. No one else does. So what that means is, they can offer him a five-year contract, up to five years. It doesn't have to be five. Nobody else can offer him five years. That's already a built-in advantage the Pacers have uh, in free agency. They can offer him 8% year-over-year raises from that first season. Nobody else can offer him more than 5% raises. So that adds up to you know, a pretty significant amount of money when you add in the extra year and the extra bonus uh, of raises at the end that no one else can offer. And Originally, you know, it sounds like Siakam would have been excited about having those advantages with Toronto, who could also have offered him a no-trade clause or a Supermax because they drafted him. But that's not the case. The Pacers are the only team that can offer him the fifth year and the extra percentage of raise. So his max contract, if the cap goes up as much as possible, would be exactly the same as Tyrese Halberton's max contract that you saw last summer, that five years, $260 million. Now, should, should he... Should the Pacers sign him to a deal that big? No, but that is what the maximum is. The advantage, though, that fifth year provides is so significant because they could even offer, you know, $1 more than any other team just by using that fifth year guaranteed. They're guaranteed to be able to offer Siaka more money than any other offer he can get from anybody else. And if that's what it comes down to for him in his age 30 free agency, I think that's going to mean a lot for the Pacers this year. Okay, his agent, again, Tony East is with us. Obviously, his coverage outstanding here. Been a busy man over the final or the past 24 hours, uh, SI.com, Locked on Pacers for the podcast there. Uh, His agent shared this quote to Mark Spears, covers the NBA nationally. The quote is, I'm excited that Pascal's getting a first-class opportunity. The Pacers being paired with Tyrese and Miles and being coached by a great coach and Rick Carlisle. His future looks bright there. Why would his agent say that? (laughs) Uh, Excitement about being in a new situation is certainly part of it, uh, I think, and it's just been, I think, weird. I mean, you don't that. say that, I guess, if you're not going to re-sign, right, is what I'm getting at. I, I, I didn't word that yeah. probably how I how I should have. But, like, I mean, me covering the NFL, you've covered the NBA. Tony, I don't see agents say stuff like that immediately after a deal when their player could potentially be on the open market in four months. Yeah, it's unique. I agree with you for sure. And Woj was on SportsCenter last night with Kevin Nagandi, and he said something similar that, you know, Siakam's talked to Halliburton about the process, and you know that I think Woj said earlier that he's eager about the opportunity to resign. Like I said this when two days ago, and this was all just reports and not an official deal. That you know, the, doing this without you know really, really, really confident feelings that Siakam would be resigning would be not smart to me by the Pacers, and they didn't give up any of their really core stuff in terms of young players or, or tradable things, uh, but. 
it, it's still silly to trade for someone of that caliber and give up three firsts without, you know, feeling pretty good about your chances to keep him or at least a, an, an idea of what it's going to take to do so. So I agree with you that his agent specifically, the person in charge of negotiating that contract, saying that on the record so fast is so meaningful, especially because, like, if he really did want to stay in Toronto, you know, he, he could have extended with them on a bigger deal, like, right now, anytime. So the fact that they weren't willing to, to have that happen, I think, means there's some excitement in being in a situation that he's excited about and, and getting all that out and making it well-known, I think, has value to them. Tony East with us here on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. Tony, let me ask you this. If, let's say the Pacers, let's say this trade didn't happen and it came out that Bruce Brown Jr., Jordan Wara, and the three first-round picks, two of them coming up here uh, in 2024, that it didn't happen and it was from the Pacers' side that it didn't happen, what would your reaction have been? And then on top of it, if Siakam was, you know, didn't become a Pacer, what other names or name would we have pivoted to? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think the um, if, had it not happened, I think the thinking would have been that Siakam is not interested in, in sticking in Indiana, and that was giving the Pacers cold feet with something like that. Like if that offer was on the table, and the Pacers were the team saying no, they had to be scared about something else because again, I think a big part of this is they still have Nemhart, they still have Mather, and they still have Walker, and yes. Their timeline is now very much accelerated, but having those guys as as tradable things just as much as developing talent is really important for them. So if they had the three firsts Brown or offer on the table and the Pacers said no, they think that would have revealed quite a bit about what they think about long-term Pascal Siakam with the Pacers, even though they still would have had him for you know the rest of this year and whatever postseason uh, events they have in them. As for you know going forward and, and what other players – the, the names could have been, you know, the, the classic ones are going to always be Mikael Bridges, who's just fantastic and on an amazing contract and would be a wonderful fit with the Pacers. But for all the same reasons that the Pacers would want him, the Brooklyn Nets would want him. And they, they don't have any incentive to tank in, in their current situation. So, he you know, he's always one you'll think about, I think, if you're the Pacers. But it's, it's just so unlikely at this point. But the reason it's hard to come up with names is, the guys that the Pacers would want and that fit them and that are available is really low. That's why them actually getting it done with one of these wings that fits them so well, I think is so important because after Mikael Bridges, it becomes, you know, Jeremy Grant, who's really good, but his contract maybe isn't so good. Or a lot of guys who are either not as good as Siakam or are on a contract that gives you some questions. And maybe Siakam's contract leads to questions in a few months. We'll have to see. But as it stands, I think it's the best, one of the best fits, at least, that was going to be available to them. He is Tony East, and as always, terrific insight here uh, in regards to the Pascal Siakam trade. Became official late last night, sounds like, potentially could be in Portland tomorrow night. It'll be a back-to-back. Pacers got the Kings tonight, Trailblazers tomorrow, and then they'll wrap up the West Coast trip with the Suns on Sunday. Tony, what? Um, I, I want to go both ends of the spectrum with you here. What are you most confident in about Pascal Siakam's acquisition, acquisition with the Pacers, and what are you least confident in? Or your biggest question, however you want to look at it. <laughs> I'm most confident that he's just going to be like the perfect offensive fit. I mean, it's, it's worked out for the Pacers this year that, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, obviously reliable almost every night, one of the best 10-whatever number you pick players in the NBA. But they always need a second guy to step up next to him. And they have a lot of talent, which has meant that's been fun, right? A lot of the times – Miles Turner can do it, or Ben Matherin could do it, or Aaron Nesmith could do it, but not all the time, right? They had some nights where that wasn't the case. And I think now Siakam is reliably 
you could say that he's going to be that guy every game, right? He already was a solid number two in Toronto all the time, including on, you know, a championship team. Maybe you could say he was the number three on the championship team, but he was awesome in that role next to Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry in 2019. And so next to Halliburton, when he'll have the easier opportunities, right? Best point guard that Siakam's ever played with. And even potentially next to some better shooters or a spacing center, which he's never played with, like, his offensive fit's just going to be phenomenal. And I think he's going to be very reliably the number two option for them every single night. And then their old number two options can kind of be naturally number three options, which makes a lot of sense for them offensively. And then Halberton's not in the game. You know, they, they've sometimes lacked punch. Matherin stepped up recently right. to help them in those ways. And I think that's also going to be huge. So uh, Scott Agnes wrote this as his, as his headline. I think it's a great thesis. Their ceiling and floor is now higher because their floor is higher because when Halliburton's not playing, they can be better, and their ceiling's higher because he fits so well offensively. So I think that all makes a ton of sense. I think that's all going to be huge for them. As for questions, um, you know, he's maybe the worst shooter in their rotation, which is crazy to say. He's not even a bad shooter. Like the last two months, he's at almost 40% from three. I think since his first two seasons of the NBA, he was a dreadful shooter, and then he's been basically like, 35% on decent volume the last six years of his career. He's not good at it, though, and the Pacers have a lot of power in their offensive abilities because they have you know, a lot of average shooters who are willing to take it. If he is not that or if he's slightly below that, you know, he's among the worst shooters who would play for them. Does that matter? Does that mean anything for the Pacers? I don't know. He might just have a lot of space to operate anyway, but I think it's really interesting on this team. And then I'll be interested in how much his – Defensive capabilities hold up because his size is going to be valuable. He's still super fast, but uh, is that enough alone to still be a league average level defender with the Pacers? I think it is going to be, but uh, it's a different scheme. It's a different system. It'll all matter. Something that you shared with us a few weeks back that was really interesting to me was you mentioned how the teams that won first-round playoff series last year, I think uh, virtually all of them ranked top half or something in in, in yep. defense. Um, and that really resonated with me. So part of where I have a question about this is on that end of the floor, Tony, and that is it easier to find the Robin to Halliburton offensively or is it easier to find the elite level defender? I, I guess that's kind of where I side with this and, and and that's where I'm a bit torn on it of certainly, you know, teams can try and take away Halliburton and if they're successful, the Pacers are left scrambling. Like I don't want to act like that's not – uh, something that should be mentioned here, but I think he's so gifted offensively that he can make others around him, and, and and you're already really good on that end of the floor. I've got more questions on the other end of it. Is that something that, I, I don't know, maybe you were kind of getting at it with, that was one of your questions about Siakam, but I guess that's where my question, my major question arises with this specific move. Yeah, I think Golden State was that one team last year. I think they were 19th in defense, so still close, right, to average, and you know, obviously better defense gives you a better chance to win. And the Pacers, I think, would be right to say, well, hey, we've been, we've been pretty good on defense since December 20th. You know, we had that practice on December 19th. It was really intense. We changed our starting lineup. We've changed some of our principles. We're more willing to give up some of the threes that we were really intent about not giving up earlier in the season. And, hey, look, we've been about league average since then. And they're right to say that. Uh, and so maybe that's you know where they would start by to answer your question, and then from there, you know I think a key part of this is Siakam. Even if he's just an average defender at his position, that's better than what they've been getting at the four a lot of the time. Not always, you know. Sometimes when Neesmith's there, things can go well. But you know, Obi Toppin has been 
pretty solid for the Pacers this year. He's a below-average defender at the four. Jalen Smith's done very well with his physicality and size, but he's certainly a more natural center than power forward, and I think him being their best answer kind of says a lot about what they need defensively at that spot. And so I think Siakam is just the most natural, I-can-defend-fours guy on the team. He is six foot nine. He has some defensive capabilities in a way that no one else is. And then I alluded to this earlier, but you know now no one else at least not as often. Like there'll be some giant teams that give them some difficulty still, but they're not gonna have to, like Larry Market was being guarded by Andrew Nemhart on Monday, right? And and I know that timing is convenient for this argument, but they, they have some of those cross matchup issues all the time. And so now that fizzles away a little bit. You don't have to deal with that as often. Everybody can kind of guard somebody at their position or at a more natural fit defensively. So I think that's gonna be just as much of a benefit to them as Siakam's size and ability on that end and in many ways, I think it can help them get close to average on that end, even though I think the offensive fit is certainly a more appealing part of this trade and be better. Tony East with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, obviously talking everything Pacers, the uh, Pascal Siakam trade, and everything else. You know, one thing that I love about it, Tony, is it does give you still a little bit of flexibility, especially this season. You know, you still have a couple contracts that would look juicy to some teams. Buddy Heald, we look at OB Toppin, Jalen Smith perhaps as well. I don't believe the Pacers are done here in the next few weeks. Do you think they will make another move in the next couple weeks before the trade deadline? And if so, any way to know what that would look like, who they would be targeting, what kind of position they would need? Yeah, I'll be interested to see what these next few weeks look like with their new look team. That is an advantage of doing a trade now instead of right at the deadline is they have two weeks to kind of see where everybody fits in around Siakam and what what they can you know, need to look for on the market. I think two interesting things now will be what I'm keeping my eye on ahead of the deadline for the Pacers. One is, okay, you have a new four, and that's awesome. Now, who's the big loser of this rotationally, right? Jalen Smith probably actually certainly isn't going to start now. Is he the backup five? Is he still getting a decent amount of minutes in the front court? And if he's getting good minutes and he's playing the four next to Turner sometimes still, is Obi Toppin taking a huge hit in minutes or – it's Jalen Smith taking a huge hit in minutes. And then also, that probably means Isaiah Jackson can't play anymore. So all of a sudden, one of one young guy in your front court, if you're the Pacers, is either playing way less or not at all. And so do they have value elsewhere, or do you really value them being your backup five or four going forward? That's one thing I think is interesting. And Smith could be on an expiring contract. Toppin is on an expiring deal, although he's a restricted free agent. So how they manage those two specifically, I think, will be fascinating. And in the coming weeks, just to see what that can mean. And I think the under-discussed part of this trade is Siakam needs his money this summer. Tyrese Halburn's getting a massive deserved raise. Neesmith's getting a raise. They brought in some other pieces this summer. they got to care about the luxury tax now next year. And if everybody gets what it seems like they could and they keep their current team next year, they're probably going to be right at it or over it. So th- does that entice them to – move on from Obi Toppin or get a player making less money? Or does that make them even harder to think about trading Buddy Heald instead of bringing him back next year because of the tax? I think that's going to be a part of this too is if it seems like they make a move that's just kind of a lateral swap in the deck chairs kind of move, it might be financially motivated because that is something they have to think about now You know, with the, the new expensiveness of their team coming next year. That is assuming that Siakam gets the money it seems like he should get. So that's the kind of the two storylines from a trade perspective to me is what are they doing in the front court and how do the new finances set this up? Because 
all their expiring guys they they can either keep or or move on from pretty easily, except for Buddy Heald, who is the one you'd look at. But he's playing pretty well for them. Is it that easy for them to just move on from him? I don't know. So I think that's where I think the next couple of weeks will be defined is how do they answer those questions or do they even matter to the Pacers? Would they rather just make the playoffs and see this team there? Tony, I want to close things out. And you had the conditions on these draft picks the Pacers are sending to Toronto. I want to make sure that we get those. Uh, Luke was asking about this. So they're trading away their own pick this year and their own pick again in 2026. And then that wild pick from like four different teams coming up <laughs> yeah. uh, in this draft as well. So basically, unless the Pacers finish, what is it? Is it top three or four in the lottery, which certainly is not the expectation or the hope, they will send that pick to Toronto? Yes, this year it's top three protected. So if they win the lottery but get exactly fourth, that's the worst-case scenario this season. Obviously, if they make the playoffs, none of that matters. And currently that pick, I think, is like 20th or 18th or something like that. And then if that if somehow they end up in the top three, they'll send the Raptors two second-rounders in 24 and 25. That weird OKC pick they got in the draft last year is the, is the other pick this year. And Doing two picks in the same year helps them with future trades and flexibility with their draft picks. 2026 is protected one through four. Again, I think if Tyrese Halberton in his third year of his max contract, plus if they still have Siakam, if they're in the top four of the, the draft, something else horribly wrong has happened in the next three years. And then if that doesn't happen, it's top four protected again the next year before once again converting into two seconds. So, they either will be trading some crappy first-rounders or catastrophe will happen, and they'll just trade second-rounders, which I think you have to feel at least decent about if you're the Pacers, even though the two picks this year already don't look like they're going to be that great. Uh, and then last thing, and I know this is probably so far off your radar right now, but I thought I would ask you just because it does potentially impact a lot of the viewing experience for the Pacers. Did you happen to catch anything on the Amazon Prime front from yesterday? That news item of potentially now the regional sports networks, i.e. viewing Pacers games, uh, could be, will be, is, I I don't know the answer I'm asking, is now on Amazon Prime? Is that what I'm seeing? I believe that's the case, yeah, that the Bally Networks getting into an agreement with Amazon would mean that you could watch those regional networks with an Amazon Prime account or subscription. I I think the details have to be ironed out, but that is potentially a huge win for a lot of teams, Pacers included, that would make things a lot easier. Perhaps it's discounted subscriptions. I have no idea exactly what that's all going to look like, but I believe that, yes, it will be tied to Amazon Prime subscriptions, which is wonderful, I think, for the Pacers, quite frankly. Yeah, let me ch- let me chime in on this. It's going to be for your Reds, too, KB. Uh, oh, okay. well, I, well, I don't well, know about the key of cable or whatever, whatever you have. Right. You might already get it, but for me, having YouTube TV, it'll be for that. The way... I read a lot on this, Tony. I don't foresee if you have an Amazon Prime account that you're just going to be able to get the Pacers and Reds. I don't think that's going to be the case. I almost harken back to, you know, if you have Apple Plus, you're paying for the Apple Plus stuff, right? What's the soccer movie or the soccer show that everybody loves? Ted Lasso. Uh, Ted Lasso. You know, if you want to watch Ted Lasso, you got to pay that monthly fee to Apple. And then if you wanted the MLS package, you had to pay the other fee, right? Right. 
Uh, I think it's going to be, my opinion is, it's going to be something like that. That sure, you have your Amazon Prime account that your wife uses on a consistent basis, or you're watching Jack Reacher on it, but then, you know, to get that, to get the Bally's package, if you will, with the Pacers, then you'll pay that monthly fee or yearly fee. That's how I think it'll work out. The too pos- good to be true. The, the, the positive is the infrastructure of Amazon, it will it will be more reliable than the Bally's app. I think that will be the thing that would be better for people. Yeah, I think that's certainly possible. And the way they see in the right of first refusal stuff, like I'd imagine Amazon's going to get a lot of bids to just buy up regional networks now if they ever just go straight up belly up, which is probably a part of this too. And I think you're probably right, just given how every streaming service ever has worked. And that's why I think maybe it being discounted or at least not $20 a month. Right. Uh, like that value is, I think will be a big part of this. So um, we'll see. I think that, I don't think it's bad for consumers uh, if you already have Amazon prime, but I don't think it's going to be the cheapest way to just straight up get to Bally. If that is the path that people are looking for. Tony, you're the man. We've got Grace Berger and Lexi Hall coming in studio that? here to close right. out the show. So as someone that covers the fever, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have anything else to be doing here, a uh, little appointment listening for the next half hour. Uh, thank you as always, my man. Yep, thanks for having me, guys. The great Tony East right there on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Again, Grace Berger, Lexi Hall coming to studio. Fun event all around the state here um, that we want to share with you guys in relation to the All-Star Game. And also catch up with them about a variety of topics. Before all of that, let's get to a quick morning check down. All right, quickly, let's do it before we have our in-studio guests. It is Pacers and Kings tonight there in Sacramento. Tip-off 10 o'clock, 9.30, our pregame coverage here on the fan. The over-under, what do you think the over-under is? Uh, 200 and I don't know. You know, 246 and a half. 39. Uh, the Pacers catch in seven and a half on that one. Siakam will not be there, but obviously uh, that's the game tonight that we'll have on the fan. Also, Siakam-wise, he will wear number 43 for the Pacers. We've already given this stat the Pacers put it out first player to wear 43 since 1999 Mark Pope wore number 43 for the Indiana Pacers honestly the biggest news item for tonight is probably Tyrese Halliburton listed as questionable not out like he has been for the past week and a half what does that mean I think it's fair to say he's nearing a return I don't know if it'll happen tonight in his former home Sacramento or tomorrow night in Portland or Sunday in Phoenix but I would say very good news on a timetable that originally was kind of in the two-week range Uh, that would be coming up on Monday but maybe it looks like he could make his return before that so again Pacers eight-point underdogs tonight 10 o'clock tip from Sacramento all right Grace Berger Lexi Hall they join us in studio next all right so life is so much more than a diagnosis It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Back at it, hanging out with you in the DriveHuber.com studio. It's a wake-up call. Reminder, you miss any of the show, find it. You can do so on the Podcast Center, 1075thefan.com. Take us anywhere in the world, 1075thefan.com, or on the absolute free app that you can find wherever you uh, you get your apps. All right, so uh, this is going to be fun for the next 20 minutes or so. Lexi Hall and Grace Berger in studio with us, uh, and they are promoting the statewide, the state of Indiana knockout tournament, which is awesome. Uh, now, KB and I have not had the conversation. I love knockout, and I'm great at knockout. Oh, have I not told uh, you the story? Uh, well, you you haven't, but knockout I... Knockout of the Pacer game halftime uh, two years ago. I, I'm uh, out. I'm the first you're one the, You were the first joker out, weren't you? My nephew, it's who I disgusting. took to the game, says to me, you didn't last very long, Uncle Bowen. <laughs> no, One of more humbling moments that I've had. This uh, is easily, by the way, this is easily the most athletic, the best shooting, and the best defense we've ever had in the studio. Which It's a low bar, <laughs> ladies, but thank you very much for the time on this Thursday morning. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Here, get a little closer to the mic there, Alexi. There you go. Don't don't be scared. Of, now, we don't, have, we don't have headsets for you. People eat the headsets in a sports radio uh, <laughs> environment around here. So, well, how's it going? Let's start with Grace. How's it going? How's your offseason? And then we'll get to the statewide knockout tournament here in just a second. How are things with you? It's great. It's a long off season, but I'm staying busy doing you know different events around Indianapolis, around the state, um, going to a lot of Pacers games, just getting to know Indianapolis a little bit better. Um, played in Spain for two months, but now I'm just back here. How was that? Out. How was going to Spain for two months? Good. I mean, not many people get to just go over there and live in their 20s. So, um, you know, just getting that experience, getting to see new cultures, new people. Um, it was really cool. Dumb question. How many players in the WNBA play internationally in the offseason? At some point, probably 80% of them really? do at some high? point. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why uh, Why Spain? Um, I mean, the Spanish league is, is good. It's physical, competitive. There's a couple WNBA players over there. Um, and then obviously it's just a, a really pretty country. So um, just thought it was a good fit for my, my first time over there. Sure. And Lexi, how, was, uh, your, how has your offseason been? It's been going great. Um, like Grace says, it's very long, um, but it's been great to kind of visit my friends, visit family, um, take a, a step away from basketball at the start and then getting back into it. Um, it's great to train here in Indianapolis, get to see Indianapolis um, more and have a lot of fun memories here um, now that I have a lot more time than I do during the season. And I guess that's a unique part of the college game for you guys bleeding into that WNBA season, right? I guess you guys are one year apart draft-wise. Mm-hmm. So your college season, Grace, ended when? And then the WNBA season started decently, like, what, a month, month and a half maybe after that? Is that right? Yeah, my season ended a little earlier than I would have liked. So I had a little little more of a break. I probably had, like, a month and a half between our first game and the WNBA and then my last game in college. So I had more time than... Um, that I should have. Did you feel it in your rookie season, though? I mean, that's like, I, I don't know, maybe nowadays it's 12 months out of the year pretty much, but like, did you feel it kind of late? I, I know you you know, certainly played a lot later in your rookie s- season. Did you feel it at all, kind of stamina, body-wise? Um, I mean, yeah, I think the W transition for college players is a lot because there's a lot more games, a lot more travel. Um, so that's, you know, it adds up over the course of a season for, for any player. But now hopefully I'm used to it and it'll be a little easier 
um, this next season. Well, the best part is you don't have to go, you don't have to go to class anymore. So there you <laughs> go. Uh, it evens out a little bit. Lexi Hall, Grace Berger, hanging out with us. So Lexi, let's start with you. So the Indiana statewide knockout tournament. Now this started back in late December. If I'm looking at, I'm looking at again. You can go to NBA.com on this. It runs through February 13th. Um, explain to people the game of knockout and exactly what you all will God, be doing. I would hope in the state well, we all I mean, know what knockout yeah. is. Dear Listen, Lord. I mean, no offense, but we also thought everyone would know how to shoot a free throw. Grace, I'm sorry for this, but the Indiana men's basketball team doesn't. Oh, so we have, to explain, we have to explain some things. So what are you guys involved with here? This looks actually pretty cool. Yeah, so it's it's a fun game. I know I grew up playing this game at the end of every single basketball practice. Basically, everyone's in a line. You have two balls, and you try to make a free throw before the person behind you makes it. If the person behind you makes it, then you're out. And so it'll go until there's one person left. Um, it's really fun, uh, really exciting. It can get really intense towards the end. But it's exciting to see the state of Indiana you know, get together and see different counties be able to send people down here for the All-Star Weekend and compete for a prize. I, I, I want to correct you on one thing. It absolutely gets heated at oh, the yeah. end. It oh, doesn't yeah. just maybe get heated <laughs> at the end. It absolutely yeah. gets heated at the end. I've been known to throw a ball or two. Well, yeah. see, kick a ball or two. That's what yeah. I was going to ask. How yeah. much cheating is going to be allowed? Or maybe not cheating. How much gray area is going to be allowed? So you all may be at, as a as a team here, you may be at, Grace, some of these games. Do you guys know which ones you're going to be at yet? Or some of these contests? Um, we're going down to Evansville, um, up to Warsaw, and then we'll be a game in Indianapolis next okay. week. So, all kind of all over. But yeah. we'll just be cheering from the sidelines. So, uh. <laughs> well, thankfully for everyone there, you, you two will be competing. And again, NBA All Star 2024.com. Some more info there, NBA Events.com as well. Um, Lexi, you are you know, Grace Louisville. I think a lot of our listeners know, of course. Uh, one of the best players, frankly, in the history of Indiana University. Lexi Stanford uh, from the Pacific Northwest. What has life in the Midwest been like for you here the last couple of years? It's been awesome. Um, having the season in the summer, first off, I think makes the transition a little easier. Um, we love the summer weather. And the people here are great. Um, it's pretty obvious they love basketball. They're um, fans of the sport. And we've seen, I mean, just over two years, I've seen the growth of people coming to our games, which is huge. Um, but it's, you know, it's a great city. There's a lot to do and I'm excited to, to see more places and go to, go to different things. Favorite spot or thing to do in Indy and what do you miss most about life in the Pacific Northwest? So my favorite restaurant I've been to is Livery downtown. My wife would agree wholeheartedly. So good. Um, and I think for me, I'm a big, like go to a lake person, go to the, I, in college I would go to the ocean. So, um, getting outside, close to a, a place like that was great and something that I miss, but there's a, a lot of different things to do here. Sure. White River and the canal just doesn't have the same feel as maybe the ocean college, We would something. just go out to the ocean. And of course, now if you're in college, uh, Stanford, you'd be, you'd be an ACC basketball yeah. player. Yeah. Boy, how do you think that travel's going to be? I can't even imagine. I, I don't know, to be honest. I think it's going to be a struggle and there's going to be some growing pains with that. Sure. Um, but... I know that Stanford's working hard to figure out how to make it the best for the student athlete. Um, there's a lot of hours, a lot of time away from classes. So figuring out how to help with that is a huge piece, especially at a tough school like Stanford. So um, 
first year is going to be interesting. Um, I'm excited to talk to my former teammates through the process. See how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, following conference realignment, it's like, okay, now Stanford's going across the country for games. (laughs) Those are some long, those are some long trips. And they're coming over to the West Coast. Yes, yes, they are again. Uh, NBA All-Star 2024.com, NBA Events.com, the statewide, the statewide knockout tournament. This is probably a stupid question. It's from the free throw line or the three-point line. It's from the free Free throw throw line. Okay, and if you go to the website, you can see, you can see the different schools and the different games. And so today uh, is the 18th. Like for instance, I mean, there's a bunch of places from Jay County to Brownstown Central, Northfield Junior Senior High School. This is all coming up tomorrow. Uh, places you can go, and it tells you if they do if they're doing the contest pregame, postgame, or halftime. So you know if you need to be there uh, before. Do you know if you have to sign up or can you show up? Do either of you know that? More info on the website? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah I we'll, apologize We'll continue on that. to plug that. Mark, go ahead and tweet out those links, too, from our show page for those that miss it. We'll um, make sure to tweet out NBA NBAAllStar2024.com and then NBAEvents.com, the two websites on that. One thing I want to hit on from last year, um, you know, Lexi, year two for you, Grace, your rookie year. It seemed like you guys played a lot better at the end of last season. What do you think, both for, for both of you, what do you think uh, kind of shifted late in the year? I think one five of your last eight. I think when you have a lot of young players, um, obviously it was Coach Christie's first year being here as well. So um, us trying to figure her out, her trying to figure out, you know, how to get the best out of us. Um, it takes time. I mean, it's, you know, we have like a two and a half week preseason. So, um, you know, it didn't come together as quickly as we would have liked. But we're hoping this year um, we'll kind of, you know, reach our peak earlier in the season um, and kind of, you know, start start collecting those wins um, from day one. So, um, yeah, I mean, it takes time. It's a really quick quick turnaround between training camp and, and the season. So um, with a young team, that was that was the hardest part. Lexi, what was uh, maybe something that stood out to you the most about Aaliyah Boston and just her welcoming to the WNBA seemed like she didn't have a lot of rookie moments <laughs> not, at all? Not many. Um, and I think that's something that just really shows the type of rookie she was. She came in day one of training camp um, as a leader, trying to set the example. Um, and... It didn't feel like the game changed much for her. I know for me coming in, it, the game feels faster, so you're trying to figure out how to slow it down. Um, she picked up right where she left off in college, which was huge for us as a team. Um, and I think back to your previous question, I think just our chemistry continued to grow, especially half of our team is in their one to two years being in the league. So we have a lot of learning to, a lot of learning to do, a lot of growth to get. So I just think everyone's kind of meshing together game by game and we'll be able to pick up where we left off. How would you uh, analyze Aaliyah and how she does on television, breaking down the game? How much do you all watch She's been on that? my TV a lot. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's amazing. I was watching her last night. She had the IU women's game halftime, and she was saying stuff that I didn't even, as much as I watch basketball, didn't even think of. So she's, she's really, obviously knows the game well, and then... Um, you know, she's great. She's great on television. That was a route by the Hoosiers last night there it over was. Minnesota yeah, it was. at home. Have you been back to many games? Um, I watch every game. Yeah. I only came back for the for the Illinois game, but I'll be back to more coming up. She is Grace Berger, Lexi Hall with us here in studio as well. They're going to hang out with us uh, till the end of the show. We'll continue to plug again, knockout around the state of Indiana as we are. What are we? Uh, is, is it a month today? Right? February 18th. Does that sound right? 
Yeah, February 18th is the NBA All-Star Game. January's so flying by. In a month. It for is. me. I, I, what what happened? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not complaining. If it gets us no. closer to weather that uh, oh, maybe brutal. is somewhat reminiscent of Stanford, uh, that would be great, <laughs> I think, for all of us. So again, Lexi Hall, Grace Berger from the Indiana Fever, both in studio with us. Uh, we'll round it out with them here. The Wake Up Call, KB and Andy on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Lexi Hall, Grace Berger hanging out another uh, final segment here of the show. And I, I just, sh- I'm shameless. I did it. And it's one of the first times I've done this publicly, KB. Uh, I was showing uh, Lexi and Grace a picture, not only of my uh, of my dogs, but our four-month-old. So I am now officially the guy <laughs> who yeah. is showing the yeah, picture of the child. You've got tickets after exactly. that. Right I was there. able to bring up the photos app. and be, You saw how fast I, I got oh, to yeah. that uh, to show them my dogs, but also uh, we call them little gas because we're gas bags here on the radio. Well, there might be more than one meaning uh, to all of that. Again, they're in studio promoting, among other things, uh, the season coming up in May, but not only that, uh, this statewide knockout tournament that you can be a part of. It's on NBA.com as we get close uh, of course to the All-Star Weekend. NBA All-Star2024.com NBAevents.com if you want to be a part of that. And just to hit that uh, again with both of you, that's going to be fun to see uh, all the different, I guess, what kids and adults and everybody else try to win a game of knockout. Oh, for sure. You see, you see the best and the worst of people during a game of knockout. So <laughs> it'll be really fun. Um, and if you're around and you can go to a game, definitely recommend. Um, and you can win some stuff. So should be a good time. Obviously, the storyline right now, and uh, frankly, I would say a huge storyline in sports. Period is what Caitlin Clark continues to do at Iowa, and certainly some good luck to the Fever. And we won't ne- maybe necessarily get into what could happen come draft season with her but just from for you two you know grace you obviously played against her but what do you think caitlin clark has meant to the women's game not only collegiately but also just eyes on it in general from a professional sense i mean she's brought a lot of attention to the sport um i think i i saw something on instagram the caitlin clark effect whenever iowa plays a team they get a huge boost in attendance so there's just people coming to watch her coming to watch her team so it's great for the sport Exciting to see, you know, if that transitions to the W wherever she lands. Um, but it's exciting. And it's something that, you know, hopefully more and more people are watching. And and she's the start of that for right now. That's great. And hopefully it continues to grow. Grace, what was it like playing against her? Um, I mean, she's obviously really talented. Anytime you have someone that can, can pull up from half court, um, but also is six feet tall and, and quick and can drive past you um, and a really good passer, it makes it pretty tough. So... Um, I'm glad I can just kind of sit back and watch now instead of having to, to be on that side of it. <laughs> now, you guys have said you've been to a lot of Pacers games this year. I'm curious if you maybe had to uh, compare yourself or watch a Pacers player and think, I want to try and mimic some elements of that Pacers player to your own game. Who would be the player for each of you? We'll start with Grace. Um, definitely Tyrese. I think, you know. The games where he has like twenty plus assists and zero turnovers, um, you know, video so, game numbers. Yeah, stupid. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. It's like how does he do how that? Does that even his, his lack of turnovers is the most shocking thing. Yeah. It's, it's the most he's shocking part of his game. Passes. He's yeah. throwing chest passes. Yeah, crazy. Pass. Yeah, no. The first game I went to, he actually had like two turnovers in the first couple minutes. So I was like, what's going on? Bad <laughs> luck. But no, he's. I mean, just how he sets up his teammates um, and can get to his spots and score himself. Um, definitely, I love watching him. So, Lexi, how about for you? I think um, similarly, just efficiency-wise, Tyrese is pretty incredible. Um, And just his competitiveness, you see it. So I think he's definitely someone that I would try to be like. Also, just 
buddy, if I could shoot like him all the time, um, I would take that any day of the week. That light is neon green neon for Buddy Heald, right? Neon shining green, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, let, me, let me ask you to this, and again, Grace Berger, Lexi Hall in here on the fan. couple more minutes uh, with them. Um, oh, goodness, what was I going to say? Oh, today... I want you to put your analyst hat on. We've talked for two and a half hours about Pascal Siakam being traded. What do you think of that, Lexi? Come on. You have to like that. That's a big-time move. I think, you know, the more offensive threat we can add to the Pacers, it'll be great. I mean, they've already one of the best offensive teams in the league, so I'm excited to see what this new addition will add. Grace? Yeah, I mean, just we were just talking about Tyrese. I think those two together are going to be a dynamic duo in the league, and um, you know, I just we got a front row seat to watch it in Indy, so we're really excited about it. Another thing I wanted to ask both of you, obviously both of you top 10 picks and decorated college careers. We had Tom Crean on the show a couple days ago, and he mentioned how the name, image, likeness aspect to the college game has changed so much. He mentioned like it was $4,500 available to him in his final year at Georgia, and now you know, they would laugh at that at Georgia. Um, how did you see name, image, likeness, if at all, change from, and again, we'll start maybe with Lexi. Lexi, your time at Stanford to the end, and Grace, same thing for you at IU. For sure. So it's definitely changed. My senior year was the first year it was allowed. Um, so there were things happening, players getting money, great, um, great opportunities. And now you look at, at colleges where they have collectives. So every player on the team is going to make some amount of dollars for doing community service stuff or other um, activations. So it's great because now these college players have money in their bank accounts, money in their pockets to go and do stuff and not stress about, you know, paying for a really good dinner or something, you know, like they have a lot of money and, and they're working for it. I mean, they're working 20 plus hours a week for a sport. So it's I think it's great that they're getting compensated for that now. And Grace? Yeah, I mean, I was I was there two years of it. Between my first and second year, it definitely grew. And now, you know, I think year by year, it's just going to keep growing um, in terms of how much, you know, these these athletes are getting compensated. And I think it's great, um, particularly for, for female athletes, for women's basketball players. Um, you can just see how, how valuable they are, how marketable they are. Um, and they're getting rewarded for that. And I think, you know, it's really exciting for them. That's great. No, I mean, listen, that's great having you guys uh, in in studio. Cannot wait for the season coming up in May. Again, the Indiana Statewide Knockout Tournament. It's going to be running all the way. The last time it will be February 13th will be the last game. Again, NBAevents.com uh, if you want to dive in on that. Lexi, before we get out of here, your college coach is about to set a record. Tell us about that. So she's already the all-time winningest coach in women's college basketball, but she's about to be the all-time time winning as coach in men's and women's um so really exciting for her exciting for stanford and um just exciting to see just how much she's grown um and she's one of the best coaches if not the best coach i've ever played for so really proud of her and excited and of course instead of being out west now it's going to be a a rainy tuesday against kevin bowen's fighting irish now that you're uh now that you're in the acc (laughs) probably be right down the road you might be able to you might be able to even make the game who knows (laughs) neil ivy's bunch has had some banged up you know ladies here early in the season but i think we're gonna come together march yeah tara Vanderveer actually played at IU, or um, yeah, yep, played at IU. One thousand two hundred and one wow. victories all time, two hundred sixty-seven losses. Uh, she was at Idaho and Ohio State before her arrival at Stanford. So just an incredible 
run with that. Uh, we'll end with this. Um, I, I know we got a long ways to go until the start of your guys' season, but just generally, how would you describe expectations here? I know it, it's a rebuild, and certainly last year you talked about you know a lot of new faces, a lot of young faces, chemistry, etc. What would you say, kind of expectation-wise? We'll start with Grace um, coming up for the Fever this season. Um, I mean, I think the expectation now moving forward is um, to make the playoffs year in and year out. Um, last year, you know, was was kind of that end of the rebuild. We were young, um, but now, you know, we've been through it. We've seen that we can compete against the best in the league. So um, we expect to be in the playoffs um, each and every year. And Lexi? I, I agree. I think, you know, our bar last year was to ideally make the playoffs, but that was a high bar. Um, and we knew we wanted to get more wins than the previous year, but now I think our expectation is just so much higher. Our bar is so much higher. So to make playoffs is is the goal, um, and we're excited to see that happen. And I do want to end with this as well. Again, we'll, we'll tweet out those links from our account as someone that has a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Um, thank you for what I think you are providing to a lot of young girls here in this city, in this state. It's pretty darn cool to see uh, the, I guess, hype continue to grow, and uh, hopefully that continues here moving forward. So thank you for that, and uh, good luck this season. I appreciate you guys coming to the studio. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Again, Grace Berger, Lexi Hall right there with us. The podcast will be up. It was a loaded show. Chuck Pagano joined us bright and early here on this Thursday. Thursday morning tonight our coverage will begin at nine o'clock it's the Pacers in Sacramento that is a 10 o'clock tip again back to back coming up this weekend Sacramento and Portland before they conclude the West Coast trip in Phoenix on Sunday everybody enjoy I think what's supposed to be a decently calm weather day before tomorrow thanks for tuning in it is the wake-up call with KB and Andy signing off